Coming to you from high atop our studios in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're listening to Tech Move. This is episode 46. In today's show, Rod talks about a rookie mistake he made during a photo shoot and how to avoid it the next time. We also talk all new products. We'll share about items like the GoPro Hero 7, DJI Mavic 2 Pro, the Aperture 120D2, and what ends up turning into a lengthy review of the brand new Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 4K. I'm Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. Get ready. It's time for another exciting episode of Tech Move. Let's go! Welcome again to episode 46. It is Tech Move, and I am Rod Louie, and joined as always by the lovely and attractive Keith Moreau. Keith, how are you today? Very good, Rod. Thank you. How are you? Oh, doing very, very well, and it's uh, good to get another episode uh, going here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as always in our intros, we always like to talk about kind of new things that have hit either the market or our own closet space uh, <laughs> for, for things that we've obtained or whatever it is. Yes. And I want to start off with something that's very, very, in our production meetings that you and I hold almost on an hourly basis, uh, <laughs> so on and so forth, uh, there are a nice collection of lenses that we should maybe talk about. Um, yeah. And, of course... For me, selfishly, it's very interesting because they are of the Micro Four Thirds ilk, if you will. Yes. Let's start off and go ahead and tease us a little bit, and maybe we can get into some of the specifics. Share with us some of the... uh, 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 Is it one lens? Is it two? Is it like a... You know, did you buy them out of the trunk of a car from some guy (laughs) who was passing by? What's the deal here? Okay, so the deal was is that I, you know, I have two two GH5s. I've got the regular GH5 and then the GH5S. Yep. And I like them a lot. Um, they're good for certain things. The quality is, you know, upped from the previous level, and they have good points. Good points, uh, not too many negatives. Um, and so I just um, was searching for more native Micro Four Thirds lenses because I don't have a lot of them. I do this adapting thing. Oh yeah, like so I like I, I do, right? I mean, right. We're, we're we're using the Metabones, we're using the Viltroxes, the the Sigma adapters, all this kind of stuff that's out there. Right, right. So, um, yeah. So I, but the thing is, is when you get an actual native Micro Four Thirds lens, it's way lighter and smaller. Yep. You know, it's like a half or third the size for the same almost the same performance. Well, well, maybe not the same performance from a light gathering point of view if you use a speed booster. But um, as far as lens sharpness and stuff like that, and and sometimes if you adapt lenses without a speed booster, if you just have like the straight hole with no lens, uh, adapter with no speed booster type lens in it, um, it actually, depending on the lens quality of your of your EF glass or or whatever larger glass you have put on there, um, it will <clears throat> it kind of magnifies the center of the glass. 
So instead of using the whole glass, which it's designed for, say, a full frame camera, you're using like the middle, the middle section, you know, like a real pretty small part of the middle section of that glass. Right. And, and, and usually that's okay because that part of the glass is usually the best. It's usually the m- most free from errors and, and chromatic aberration and all kinds of bad things for, um, that lenses get. But, um, the actual glass itself was designed for a full frame sensor. And therefore, you might be magnifying imperfections in the glass that it just wasn't intended to be used that way. So um, when you use a native Micro Four Thirds glass, um, you're not, it's, it's covering the whole, it's meant to cover the whole image sensor and not much more beyond it. So it's optim- in a way, it's sharpness and, and quality is optimized for that size of a lens. The precision might be a little bit higher because it's designed for a smaller sensor. So that's one of the that's another reason. So basically, lightness, um, and the fact that maybe the lens will be slightly higher quality if you're not using a speed booster, and even and even if you are, because speed boosters have inherent, you know, problems to them as well. They're not perfect, um, and and also maybe native focusing and other things that that make it work just better on a GH type camera, a Micro Four Thirds camera. So that's my that's my reasoning. That's and, how I justify it. <laughs> and, and, well, in uh, let let's let's face it too. If you get some lenses that are specifically made for micro four thirds, uh, they just seem to work a little bit better, don't they? I mean, like it, it, even I could tell using the GH four, right? Like the uh, the the native, uh, even the native, you know kit lenses that you know they just seem to focus a lot faster they just seem to be just they just seem to work in time a lot easier than if you're adapting something uh and 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 look hey ad- the adapting is great I, I i really can't live without it but there's just something about something that's built for that particular platform yeah i think just in general, especially the autofocus stuff. Yep. I think that's the that's the big one. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think the autofocus will just work better with a native lens. <clears throat> and I and I think it's possibly because there's just a certain well, first of all, the the metabones or whatever you're using to adapt it, it has to translate this incoming incoming signal from the lens and translate it into the camera's uh native signal. And and so it's taking an EF type electronic signal it's basically a bunch of data it's like a protocol saying you know a bunch of bunch of digital data and it's translating that on the fly to something that the camera understands uh the micro four thirds panasonic camera whatever um micro four thirds system you're using and you know that just takes time it's kind of like imagine you know instead of throwing the a bucket of water on a fire with one person you're taking the bucket of water from whatever the lake or whatever and you're handing it to another person and then that person has to throw the the bucket of water on the fire so that's going to take time yeah so you're you might you know your log cabin might burn down before the right. <laughs> is that a good analogy i don't know <laughs> anyway you know what it, you know what it's good enough all, all i know is that native lenses are just you know e- even if it's just a smidgen better it's still better yeah yeah it it is it has to it has to be better it has to be better. And there's just other things too, like um, no matter how good these adapters are, they introduce slight, slight imperfections. Right. So the exactly. the little, all the machining and all that stuff, it can't be a hundred percent perfect. It's a little bit off. 
you know, maybe not enough so it really matters that much, but it could be a little bit off so it matters a little bit, like just the flange distance and whether it's completely square to the lens. And then other things like power requirements, right? Because this, this adapter has to, has to, it needs power to actually work. It's got electronics in it and stuff. Right. So that's taking extra power drain from the camera. Maybe it might be slight, it might be minimal, um, but again, it's it's adding just a little bit more stress to the camera system. Yep. So, yeah. So I guess all things being equal, if you can use a native lens, it's probably better uh, in, in, in a lot of ways. I think one of the big advantages, though, of using a, an adapter is the, is, is the speed booster aspect of it. You can get um, at least APS-C results out of a, out of a lens, um, out of a, a larger lens when you do a speed booster. And that, that gives you a lot, of, a lot more light. Uh, gives you a wider field of view, so that part of it is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, great. G- yeah. So getting back to what I got, um, there happened to be a kind of awesome sale uh, at B and H, and and so what happened was um, I, I looked at it, and these these lenses were they're not cheap lenses. I have to say these are you know up there. Um, so so um, I'm just gonna look at the, the the like the what I paid and stuff. I'm gonna look at the invoices and see what what I got on them. Yeah. So they were basically like two to $400 off these lenses. Okay. So, which is pretty um, good for lenses. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. So, um, so what I, I went up getting, um, a nice, um, these are all Panasonic branded lenses, but Panasonic and Leica have a partnership. So Leica is a German company, mm-hmm. um, and Panasonic is a Japanese company, but they, uh, they have a partnership. So, I'm not quite sure where the lenses are made in Japan or Germany, but Leica has some supervision over the design and manufacture. So, and Leica is kind of like a huge name in, in, in lenses and quality. So, um, I don't know if it's just a badge, like, like it just gets a dollar per lens to slap on their name or, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, it, it, it does denote some quality. So the, one of the, the first lens I got, um, is the Panasonic Leica DG Vario L Marit 8-18 uh, zoom lens. So, so it's an 8 the, millimeter to 18 millimeter. Is that what right. it is? Yeah. So yep. pretty wide. Pretty wide. So at the at so the full frame equivalent would be kind of similar to a 16 to 36 lens. So a little bit wider than say the the Sigma 18 to 35 that we like. Yep. So that's kind of the equivalent of that. In I'm, a look, way that's, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking yeah. at it right now. It is a two point. It's an f two point eight to four. Right. So at the, at the widest at the widest aperture, it is two point eight. Yeah. Uh, I mean at the at the widest zoom, it's two point eight, and then as you zoom in to eighteen, it gets to four. That's how that's how a lot of lenses are. Yeah. Yep. It's really hard to design a completely um, fixed aperture or non-changing aperture lens right. in a zoom. Right. They, they exist, it's just a lot harder. Yep. So anyway, this one, I think it's like, I think I got it for like $900 and I think it goes for like twelve or $1,300. It's yeah. a pretty good deal. Yeah. So um, I actually haven't tested that too much, but I'm, I'm about to. Um, another lens that I got is a kind of an interesting lens. It's, it's uh, the Leica DG Noctocron 42.5 millimeter. Um, the thing that's co- cool about this is it's an f 1.2 um, and it's a power um, 
It's a it's an optically stabilized lens. Oh, so that will work quite beautifully with the GH5S, which does not have image stabilization, I believe. Yes, yes. And unfortunately, it's hard to find that many micro four-thirds stabilized lenses um, that aren't zooms, but this is one of the few that are. So it's it's a bit on the telephoto side. So this would be... This would be maybe for portrait. Yeah, this type. is a forty-two point five millimeter, which kind of means that it's what, like, uh, like about uh, close to ninety millimeter. Would that it's, be right? It's like eighty-five. Yeah, depending on the camera you put on, it's probably a little bit less on the GH5s. Yeah, um, but uh, still uh, nice to have a p power. And this is this is basically a portrait lens. You just you'd slap this one on, and it, since it's got OAS, you could do some some nice shallow depth of field. I mean, you'd get some pretty amazing shallow depth of field with this lens. At a 1.2, it ought to look fantastic. Yeah. And uh, that one I got for like 1200 and I think it's like way higher than that. Um, and then there's the this lens, which actually I like a lot. I have this on um, my camera right now, and I've been kind of testing it. And it's the Leica DG Sumalux 12, meter, 12 millimeter f1.4. So, um, this one, this one, I, I really love the image. It's pretty wide. Um, oh, it's yeah, like a 24 oh, yeah, millimeter. I see that. Yeah, it's about 24 millimeter, 1.4. Ooh, yeah, that's nice. Looks light, too. Yeah, this one's is the one you're looking at a 12, 12 millimeter or 12, 12 millimeter. Yeah, it's yeah. 12 millimeter, but a 24 millimeter equivalent. equivalent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of like the standard wide lens if you're going to full frame. But it is small and light, and that's what I really love about it. And the image is superb. So um, love these lenses. They will get a lot of use, I'm sure. Um, not sure if they're running gun lenses, except maybe for the the, the wide zoom. But um, because the uh, but still, um, I'm sure they're going to have a lot of use for these cameras. I I feel like I can use the the ones without OIS on the the regular GH5 because it's got body stabilization <clears throat> and then I'll have to just have a something kind of stabilized for the other lenses that aren't um, that aren't um, IS enabled and put it put it on a gimbal or just have a really good rig or have it on a tripod right yeah so so anyway that's pretty that's, nice yeah oh I like those and, and, and oh, okay so like um Okay, now I'm going off of like my, you know, my new baby, the uh, Sigma Art, right? Which yes. is a which is a fairly heavy lens. Yes, and it covers yes. a lot of ground. Yes. Give me a comparison on weight uh, versus that type of lens. Oh wow, it's so much lighter. Oh, I I'll mean, bet. Yeah, like basically, you don't even know they're there compared to the. First of all, they're shorter, right? So yeah. you don't have that. You don't have the adapter on there, and yeah. then, and then just the weight of the lens. The, the art lenses tend to be really heavy, yeah. And I guess it's because they have a lot of glass, and you know maybe they just you know add you know lead to them to make them seem heavier. I'm not sure why they're so heavy, because Canon lenses, a lot of Canon equivalent lenses are actually lighter. So it must just be they have a lot of heavy glass in there, and they're all metal. But um, yeah, it's just like basically like like you really notice it when you have that combo on your gh4 or 5 yeah you really notice that lens the lens is like most of the camera 
the most oh, yeah. of the setup. Oh yeah. Where yeah. Whereas if you have, it's kind of like when you're holding the hammer, it's you don't even notice the body really when you when you have that lens. It's like there, but it's more just like a handle. Um, whereas um, with these these lenses, they're so lightweight and small that it's kind of like more of a unit or more where the camera's in charge. The camera is the center of everything. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so, exactly. And that's just the way it is. And that's kind of how Micro Four Thirds was intended to be. Mm-hmm. I think all this adaption and all that stuff was an afterthought and a really amazing afterthought for people like us that, you know, have a lot of larger glass and want to adapt it. But um, anyway, so that's my that's my little spiel. Um, and uh, That's great. Yeah. And then I guess in a, along with that... <clears throat> kind of in the other vein, the opposite vein, I, I got a 0.64 Metabones. So, oh! Yeah. Now, got, wait a minute. Hang on. What, 0.64 Metabones. Uh, yes. That's, uh, th- th- there's so many new models out there. What, what, what is this? Um, well, it's based... So the, the standard Metabones is 0.71. So it means that it's going to... Um, it's, it's going to squeeze down 0.71. So... So you, it's going to have whatever lens is on there, and it's going to squeeze it down to 0.71 of whatever the lens is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, so basically, the lower the number, the more it's squeezing, and okay. therefore the the wider the wider view view you get, and the more speed boosting you'll get. Right. So, like if you had a 0.5, it would squeeze it down to half, and you would get a, a lot more light. So, so well. the lower the number, the better it is. <clears throat> well. The wider it is, the potentially wider it is, the uh-huh. less cropped, the okay. less cropped. Right. Yeah. So, but the problem is when it's that, when, when it's that extreme, um, then you start, you may start get getting vignetting. Okay? Oh, okay. Right. Because the, the that, actual that, lens itself. That edge to edge thing that, yes. that, that we're talking about. Yes. The edge to edge thing may come into play um, with some lenses. I think I put that on to, I think I put it onto a GH5 in the 18 to 35, and I noticed a slight darkening on the edges. It wasn't like it was cutting it off, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it was, but it was definitely vignetting. Like it was getting near to the edge. <laughs> so, and then if you're shooting um, with a different, not the not the wide aspect ratio. Um, so on the GH series, <clears throat> the sensor uh, for shooting video is cropped on the top and bottom. So it's not using the top and bottom portion. So if you can imagine those outer corners, they're not being used. So the so the vignetting is a little bit less on those type of lenses, right? But if you're shooting just photos, like four by three photos, and using that, or if you're using the mode where you can shoot video and using an anamorphic adapter right. to to make it wider, yep. then then you would notice more vignetting. So the fact that we're using this cropped video mode on those sensors uh, is kind of relieves us of a little bit of the vignetting problem. So you'll notice it much more if you're shooting in four by three mode uh, or, or shooting photos in four by three mode. So right. anyway, just right. a little, a little technical point there. Right. That's, so anyway. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so the, so this is the Metabones T speed booster XL. Is that right? Is that what yeah. it is? Yeah. The T I believe is the newest model of the speed boosters or actually it's just the higher quality new model. I think it's the fourth generation. I actually believe that there's a fifth generation now, which is I looked into, mm-hmm. and you can do a little search for Metabone's fifth generation to know what I'm talking about. But so basically, the fifth generation is meant for people that want to fiddle more with their with their uh, Metabone's adapters, and they want to have a more uh, secure, tight connection between the 
the Metabones and the EF lens or whatever full frame lens you're using. Because what can happen a little bit is all lenses and adapters are slightly off. They're not 100% perfect and there can be a little bit of wiggling that goes on. Like you probably notice this with your adapter. Mm. Do you notice any kind of wiggling or is it just super no. tight and locked? It, it, no, it, okay. It, 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 uh, that's, that's the one thing about the Viltrox adapter that was, you know, uh, uh, people were pleasantly surprised with. Was oh, okay. that that was that it was pretty stable and stuff like that and, and tight really and stuff like uh-huh. that. Uh, no, but I know what you mean. It's like when you when you click it because I I've had some cheap ones before where you click them and 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 I don't even they're not even speed boosts they're just plain old lens adapters right where you mm. click them in and then there's just that little bit of clicking play that you can have and stuff like yes. that. Yes, yes, and then some. Maybe yours or others, they're so tight that it seems like you're going to break it if you actually start engaging it. And I've actually had those as well. They're like overly tight with some lenses and things. So anyway. <laughs> you need a crowbar to get them off at the end of the day. Yeah, you kind of feel like if I turn this anymore, I'm going to break something. Um, right, yeah. <clears throat> so so what this, this, I think, fifth generation speed booster does is it has a, a locking... A, tur- a turning tightening mechanism on the front part that goes to the EF lens. And so you put the EF lens in and it's just totally loose. Like if, if you just, you wouldn't be able to turn and, and, and have it click in. So you put it in, it's totally loose. And then this ring thing engages and you turn it, turn it, turn it until it's as tight as you want it. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of, so it's basically completely loose and then it turn it, as as you turn it, it gets tighter. So you, you so you just get to adjust it manually the way that you want. Yes, yes. The the get that kind of fit that you're looking for and stuff. Yeah, like that. for any little variances in in lenses and and stuff. So so I kind of like that in a way, but I'm a little afraid of it because I've heard reports that it's really easy to just forget forget that it doesn't lock and then and there's no turning involved. It's there's no turning from the lens point of view. So it's a little bit fiddly because you have to hold the le- with your left hand. Say you have to hold the lens in while you you begin to turn and lock it in. Mm. And in that moment, you can actually drop the lens if you forget or just you know it's it's more fiddly. It takes longer. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm a little. I might just get one and evaluate and see if I like it or not, or I may just skip it because the old ones seem fine for me. I'm not too unhappy about those but those um kind of it's similar you've heard of the pl mount yes yeah that stands yeah i think it stands for professional locking and that's actually the that's like the cinematography lens mount that's the lens that's always that's the mount that's always been used for for high-end cinematography cameras you know like if you bought an ari it would probably have a pl mount Uh, anything else would be you would you would probably get an adapter if you get a red you might get a pl mount you can get ef mounts and things too for all these cameras but pl is like the professional one so if you ever if you get a pl mountain lens most likely it's a super expensive cinema lens mm, okay so yeah and so it's kind of it's kind of in that same vein it's a locking mechanism and then some of some of the canons and s- some other brands have ef locking mounts as well um so they have that same principle that this metabones has but it's just for different um different uh cameras so anyway that's i guess a little extra on locking mechanisms and <laughs> I, I, actually, I'm not familiar with that myself, so that's actually very uh, good to know. I I know that that was always a huge complaint 
with other uh, content makers is, is the whole, you know, the adapters being a little bit loose. There's, you know, play in it and all this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it, it, that's a very interesting new feature about this locking mechanism. So that's uh, that is pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, um, oh, and, and but I it guess... it adds another 50 bucks. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it does. It does. And maybe extra trouble and frustration. Yeah. So, I mean, well, uh, you, know, you know what? You're right. It adds a little more trouble, and but probably not any more than balancing your camera on a, <laughs> on, a on another, uh, 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 well, what, what do we call that? Um, what, gimbal you're right exactly the gimbal <laughs> yeah right yeah that's true no that that's 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 for sure it's all it's all part of it's it's all part of the creative process ladies and gentlemen that's what it is that's what we like to call it it's part of the fun stuff yeah so <laughs> and and so you might so not only um did i get these gh5s and things in the last well i get i got the original gh5 quite a long time ago yeah. but i got the gh5s fairly recently and but there's another micro four thirds camera that is about to arrive and it's a camera that we've we've talked about before yes and i actually it's if if you order from the big guys it's back ordered to like next year oh it is Um, really yes yes some people that order that first ordered it and like pre-ordered in april are just getting theirs now and this is like mid-november so so um but through my my contacts um, in fact, I have this one uh, company that I really love called Texas Media Systems, mm-hmm. and uh, the president is Terry Nixon, and because he's the owner and president, and and I've bought lots of kind of like brand new stuff from him over the years, and so we have kind of a relationship, and uh, so he, so I just a while back, uh, yeah, like a month ago, said hey, uh, and I didn't really expect an answer of yeah we got him, but I I asked him. Hey, I really want a Blackmagic Pocket Cinema, cinema Camera 4K. Mm-hmm. Do you have one? Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, uh, and he, I emailed him, and then like the next day, he said, yeah, I can set one aside for you. Where they actually came in today. Mm. So, I, <laughs> wow, yeah. So, um, and, and the, so, and, the, and these are legit production. Yeah, uh, they're real. They're 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 not. Uh, 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 testers not or anything or protos or anything like that. No, these are coming <clears throat> direct from the official factory. Nice. <clears throat> and um, yeah, so a lot of the smaller dealers actually are getting dribs and drabs of them. <clears throat> the big dealers like B and H, Adorama, and those that that you know sell tons of stuff, they're actually getting them. But the problem is that everybody orders from them, right? So the wait time is way longer. Sure. So yeah. So um. Yeah, so he actually said, I'll set it aside for you, and it's coming in, or it came in, um, it's going to come in tomorrow afternoon, and I'll set one aside for you and put you at the top of the list, and et cetera. So that was really nice. So, um, yeah, so he shipped it out. I got it in about a week, and it's we're going to be talking about it. So so you have it in your hot little hands right now. You've uh, m- maybe by the time this episode is finished... You might have given it a uh, test drive uh, for for you to discuss some, uh, at least some initial thoughts of the thing. Yes. Well, actually, I think by the last segment of this episode, by the outro, um, I'll be able to give you a full report on it. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Good. Yeah. Good, 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 good. So that's the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 4K we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen. That's just been uh, newly released from Blackmagic 
uh, what do they call themselves? Black Magic Designs. And Design, uh, yeah. um, so let, let, let's stay tuned for all that excitement. But let's do, <laughs> but let's do this. Uh, great info on the lenses. I've already copied down your list, and I will be breaking into your house to steal those lenses <laughs> from you to use on my GH4 uh, within a couple of weeks. And uh, but that's good to know. Let's do this, Keith. Let's mm. uh, l- let's continue more with our uh, uh, with our introduction here into this uh, into this podcast, and then get into more of the meat and potatoes of, the, of these things. And maybe we will be lucky enough to hear more about the Black Magic Designs um, 4K by the end of this uh, episode. What do you, what do you say? Let's let, 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 yeah. let's let's take a quick break. Yeah. Let's reset uh, our hard drives before they crash and burn. (laughs) And uh, we will come right back, okay? Okay. All right, you're listening to Technic. We'll be right back. Right back here with Tech Move, and again, thank you very much for uh, joining us on this new episode. It is Rod Louie and Keith Moreau, and Keith was just about to kind of, uh, go into his new bag of tricks that uh, that he's got. And uh, Keith, what 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 what's new in the uh, old shopping cart of Keith Moreau right now? So I I just. Um want to talk about a few of the new pieces of gear that I got recently. Excellent. And have tried out. So a couple of them I just have on order, and then a couple of them I actually received and tried out. So one of the things I got recently was the GoPro Hero 7. So now I, now this, oh, this is the Hero, oh, Hero 7. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. So oh. that's the brand, brand, brand new Hero 7. It uh, looks a lot like the Hero 5 and 6. I'm uh, surprised that they they even were able to put out a 7 because of all the financial trouble uh, GoPro are, was in. Are they going out of business? Or well, they, they, okay? they, 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 had a lot of, uh, they had a lot of financial problems that I didn't even know they were going to be able to... Uh, I, I, I didn't think they were going to be able to produce anything after the black. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, so well, excellent. Maybe, maybe they uh, reconstructed themselves, and uh, maybe they're hoping to hit it big with this Hero Seven. Go ahead and and tell us a little bit about it. Well, um, I just saw a few reviews on it, and I kind of needed a new GoPro because I've been doing some stuff with my old GoPro Fours, which are, I guess, kind of ancient now. Yeah. Um, and I was doing some interesting time lapses with the GoPro Fours because it was kind of a situation where. I didn't want to put a super high-end camera in this location, but I wanted to get an okay time-lapse. And that, actually, it's pretty good for time-lapse. Yeah, they're, actually, I, I think they're really great for it. Yeah. Um, I had some issues with one of the cameras, and I don't know why, um, but the other one worked really well and it recorded, like, for six straight days <laughs> in, in another, like, three days in another time-lapse. So it got oh, a wow. really good, yeah got a lot of stuff and it you know it it also is pretty good in low light because i think what happens is it actually automatically lengthens the exposure when the light starts getting kind of low so maybe that's you know bad if you have moving stuff but for time lapse i mean maybe it's okay to have streakiness sometimes yeah um so so, because i was actually pretty pleased with how 
low noise the image was even in the night scenes because you know we're doing like 24 hours things sure so um anyway that was the gopro 4 and then i just kind of got intrigued by gopro again like i hadn't i'd been kind of like not interested in newer gopros it just seemed like a gimmick seemed like they just kept redressing the old gopros like there wasn't anything new right with Um, with maybe a a couple new little features that really didn't warrant the price tag or whatever yeah but then i started looking at some of the reviews for the brand new gopro 7 and it seemed like a lot of the people were saying like this is the gopro they should have made a couple years ago and uh, there's a couple of really good features in it like the sound is a lot better and like for some reason the mic or whatever they have on it is much better than before um so that's that's kind of cool because the sound was never that great um, but in all honesty, were you ever using a GoPro for sound? I mean, you were really just capturing, like, you know, action shots, fast-moving, underwater, blah, 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 this and that. Yeah. I mean, did every, anyone really care about sound capture for a GoPro? I mean, obviously they do. If, if uh, I guess this is nice to have. It's nice to have. And then, for so, for example, if you're doing an action cam and you're doing a selfie or something like that, or you're doing, like, a vlog... And and you're you're using the GoPro because it's appropriate because it's it's in a situation where it might get water damage or whatever, water on it. Then then you don't you don't really have another sound option. You you have to use the GoPro's sound, I think. True. Right? Unless you have another really weird you know underwater microphone thing, which you'll never have. So yeah, so you have to. And so in that situation, I've heard the sound and it's really good. It's really good in you know water sports and things like that. So. Yeah, and um, you might use it as a like an all-purpose vlogging system rather than having this huge, uh, you know, GH five or something at the end of a your arm and yeah. being heavy and whatever. <laughs> right. You could just have this GoPro seven. It's super light. You can just put it in your pocket or whatever, and then whip it out. You know, it's not. It's, it's even easier than an iPhone. Um, but the thing that kind of um, really sold me was the stabilization on it. So uh- there's this new. I have to admit to you, I'm on the website right now, yeah. and they were just showing this uh, gimbal-like stabilization without the gimbal, yeah. and it looks fabulous. Yes. It is It is kind of amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's not um, It's not really uh, um, jello-y, which I don't, I'm not quite sure how they did that, because I know that it's using a rolling shutter to... Because mm-hmm. what happens a lot of time is... With with you know newer almost all new cameras they use these CMOS sensors and there it's a kind of a it's not it's not taking one frame at a time like the old CCDs it's actually kind of doing this line line uh, skipping thing not line skipping but line scanning okay so it's it's like the fir- there's a pixel that's scanned at the very top left and then it goes all the way across and then it zags and it does like these lines 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 so the so the, what causes this Jello effect is the fact that that pixel that's in the top left is way way sooner than the pixel at the bottom right and that's what causes the waviness so as it's scanning um the a, a vertical like bar or something will be will, will have one position at one point in time and another position another point in time even though it's a straight bar up and down so it'll look like it's curved and so if you're on a vibrating surface and and you use this form of stabilization you'll have basically jello baked mm-hmm. into the image mm-hmm. so i don't know how they got around the jello i don't know if there's some, some computing power that counteracts the jello you know like reverses it in inside the system with the processors but whatever however they do it you know i'll probably look it up and we can talk about that in another episode it's really amazing it's like a gimbal yeah so, I, but I, it's I, all like 
it, it's all electronic though. It's not a, a physical gimbal. And, and and it doesn't do anything to affect the image or anything like that. It it, it, lo- it looks pretty good from what I've seen. Yeah, it looks as good or better than previous GoPros. Yeah. So I mean, it's not the GoPro isn't the the ultimate in quality. You know, it's right. nowhere near a GH five or four or right. any other big camera. But it's it's not bad for you know, pocket case, for pocket sized little like you know Altoid box type of thing. It looks pretty darn good. Pretty powerful. Pretty, pretty darn good you can do 4k and yeah. and 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 has a lot of versatility yeah. so and then and then this version they don't have a case anymore like you don't need a case it's totally waterproof so oh, that's nice yeah they have and and you know i feel kind of feel like maybe the, the unit's not very well protected but mm-hmm. they do have things you could put around it if you want to mm-hmm. um they also have a way of um changing the lens out like if the lens gets messed up or scratched you can kind of undo it and put a new one on Oh, nice. And it's not, the, not very expensive. It's like 25 bucks or something. That's good. Yeah. So anyway, so I got that and I um, haven't used it a ton, but I did test it a bit and I liked it. I actually liked it. And, so and it what, what kind of video does it output? I mean, file, is it? Is it a MOV? Is it, uh, what is it? It's um, the standard H.264 or it's the, I believe it's the high, the um, H.265, okay. I think. So a little bit harder harder for some systems. I I am uh, noticing that there are three types of Hero 7s. There's a black version, silver, and a white. And it looks like without question the one that you want to get is is the black. Um, Yes, that's the one I got. Yeah, that has everything on it that Keith just spoke about, whereas the silver uh, and the white do not have that uh, hyper-smooth video feature which I think is essentially essential if you want to, you know, if you want to get one of these. That's that's really what yeah. you got to go with. It's really the main reason for getting it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So okay, so there's that. Um, I also received and have flown the Mavic Two Pro. Ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah the DJI Mavic. Yeah. Two. So, um, haven't totally studied the images. Although I've seen a lot of images on the internet, but just flying it. Um, is awesome it is it's really quiet that was the thing that really surprised me it's super quiet like you know how there's that that super loud droning sound yeah this one is i mean once it's a 30 feet away you can't even hear it oh really oh wow it's kind of amazing i was really so if you want to do any you know you know spying on people you know without them knowing (laughs) you could do it pretty easily huh yeah very easily for all the people that want to do that so no but i (laughs) Yeah, but I just thought it flew really smooth. It seemed really super solid, and it's teeny. I mean, it's not as teeny as the Air, but it it, it and the controller and batteries fit into a small, smallish case that's probably like six inches wide by about four inches deep, by about eight inches high. So you can carry the whole system in this little bag. How is you know, it? How is it in comparison to the original Mavic? I think it's maybe slightly bigger, but imperceptibly, like very, like not much. And what like, about the flying difference? Uh, like you said, just uh, e- easier to fly, noise factor low, lower? Um, noise factor, I believe, is a little bit lower. I don't actually have the original Mavic. I have the Mavic Air. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I never, I didn't get the Mavic because I figured, like, the Mavic Air was about the same quality and much smaller. Yeah. So I just didn't get it. Or actually, I got one and returned it right away when the Mavic Air came out. Um, I saw so I didn't even open the box. But, but, um, I think it's a little bit quieter. I think the one of the things about the Mavic Platinum was that it was pretty quiet. So um, this one, I think, has that or even better 
um, noise levels. But I think it has a lot more safety features, more sensors, and mm, not sure other comparisons. But the cameras are a lot better. The camera on it's way better. Oh, good. Yeah. So it's the one with the super high-end um, camera. Uh, what is it? Hasselblad camera? Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And the cool. camera's gigantic. I mean, it's really big compared to the... Like, usually cameras on drones are really teeny. Yeah. Uh, but this one is a pretty substantial size. So um, if you look at images of it, it's, it's, it's right there. So, yeah. So I'm happy with that guy. Um, I recommend it. I'll have to, you know, get back to you with footage and stuff. But I'm... I'm really help, happy with it. Great. It's a nice little unit. Cool. And then another thing I got recently, and I was actually kind of lucky to get it, I think, was the Aperture 120D2. Aperture 120D2. Yeah. We talked about it, um, I think, in the last episode with Amsterdam. Um, when we went to Amsterdam and talked to Aperture. Mm-hmm. But we'd, I don't think we talked too much about it. We just We just kind of touched on it. Um, we may have touched that on in the previous episode of the Cinegear, but anyway, you know, the thing about Aperture stuff, they're so in demand that they, they don't have a super, um, like their delivery times on, on, on products that just came out is kind of long. Oh, the D2 is that light. Is that correct? Yes. It's the, it's the light that's like, has the Bowens mount on it and it's really bright. It's, uh, and it's relatively compact for what it does, but like, it's like the, the light, uh, Output of the sun or something like that. It's, it's really super bright. It's pretty bright. I have the 300, which is like twice as bright, but um, also bigger. Yep. And and so this one, I I tested and used it a little bit, and it's I like it. It still puts out a lot of light. Probably not as much as the 300, obviously, but um, much smaller, more compact. Um, it's got a few more maybe bells and whistles and as far as controls and stuff. Um, it's but what I like about it too is it doesn't have this extra, like extra brick for the power. So there's one there's one big brick for the power, and that's it. Okay. Whereas with the previous, um, and like the previous 120 and the 300, it's got two bricks. It's got a brick that oh, you wow. plug into the yeah, wall. That's a lot. Like a big brick, like we're talking huge units, and then in you know, like a foot long, and then another foot long unit between that unit and the light. So it's two things to set up. So this is cool because it's got everything on one brick, and the brick also has a battery adapter on it. So you can put a V-mount battery on it and power it, and I tried that too, and that worked pretty well. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, so, I they, like so they thought about that stuff. That's good. Yeah. So I like it. Um, have to use it on an actual shoot, but um, I'm sure it's going to be fine. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I actually like it. I'm thinking maybe I'll get one more because it's a little bit smaller and more a little more convenient. I don't always need that 300, so I'm not sure if I'll get another. It's not that expensive. It's like 750 or so. Does it does it run very hot? Do these lights run extremely hot? No, the actual light itself is an LED, so that part doesn't get too hot. Um the it has a little fan in it, but it's pretty pretty, pretty quiet. quiet. Yeah. yeah. So um but very the thing that's cool about it, it sets up really quick. Yeah. It and, looks like it. Yeah. So if you have time put it, and put you it on a tripod, throw it up there flip it on and do yeah. your adjustments and that's about it right pretty much yeah or a light stand with a five inch stud yep. it's got it's got that receptacle on it so yeah it's pretty quick i, I think you could probably set it up in about a minute oh that's like awesome beginning yeah, yeah that's beginning awesome yeah whereas senate sometimes setting up those um flexible led right um, like lights i have is a little more time consuming oh yeah well because you have to string them up right and you have to put, yeah you have to put the clips on and all this kind yeah. of stuff 
Yeah. Uh, for these apertures, uh, do you use them with any type of domes or anything like that to diffuse, or do you, or can it do, uh, or, or or do you reflect it off anything, or or what do you do? Well, it's got a Bowens mount, which is kind of an industry standard socket thing that's on the front, and you know it's about a six inch diameter socket, and and you can put a number of light modifiers in front. I actually use a Westcott um, quick forget what it's called but it's it's the one that's basically like a really quick snap open umbrella and then it's done it's really quick yeah that's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome yeah cool. so that's why i used um that one and then i think aperture has another has their own version of it although it's not quite as quick as this westcott so that's why i used that westcott one i already have them but they they came up with a new version of their soft dome that's a bit quicker to set up as well so yeah and it's probably a bit cheaper i think the westcott's were like 300 dollars. Oh, yeah. so yeah and i think probably apertures are way less cool so yeah so um go. but you can do anything you also aperture sells a fresnel type light which is a way to have kind of a tight or wide beam so um yeah so there's there's a lot of versatility with this light i really like it they're this pretty good and the, the the fit and finish on this particular unit was really really good too i was impressed with that it's a professional light it's a really nice looking light, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, like it too. Yeah, cool, excellent. Yeah, so that's. I think we run out of time to talk about stuff. Maybe by the time we talk again, I'll have received uh, a couple of the other things on this list here. <laughs> well, l- let's. Uh, uh, we'll we'll take that up on our uh, maybe our next recording. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And but I think those are uh, exciting developments, especially. You, you caught my uh, my eye with that GoPro Hero Seven thing. I think I might want to investigate that because I have kind of been in the market for a action cam, and that sounds to be something that would just be awesome to have. Yeah. So um, I think that'd be really great for uh, vacations and and such. So. Uh huh. Um, just bring a lot of batteries. <laughs> oh, is, oh, is that right? Is that one of those types of things? Yeah, it is. What does it, it run off of? What does it run off of? There are little teeny GoPro batteries specifically made for the 5 through 7. It, but they're, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the size. No, but I'm they're not. really small. No. Yeah, they're really teeny. Okay. And they don't, they don't last long. I'd say 30 minutes. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. So you got buy, buy your 10 pack yeah. when you, whenever and, you and go rem- anywhere. And remember to bring them. <laughs> Ah, I'll try important. and I'll try and remember that, and you'll understand that <laughs> later on in the episode, folks. So that'll be that'll be good. All right, uh, Keith, thank you very much. Let's uh, take a timeout, and uh, we will come back with more of Tech Move. Welcome back to Tech Move, Rod Louie and Keith Moreau. And Keith, I wanted to share with you and the entire Tech Move universe that uh, Rod Louie had a mishap, as he often has. Uh, rookie mistake uh, here, Keith. Mm. I had a uh, birthday party uh, to attend, and it was my desire. It was not. It was not an assignment uh, or anything like that. This was just you know my own personal. Uh, uh, thing that I was going to. I wanted to mm-hmm. take some stills and video and kind of make a, you know, maybe a nice little package as a birthday, you know, a post-birthday present. That's really nice. Rookie mistake. I forgot batteries for the camera. 
Oh. So that's here, unfortunate. No, it was terrible. So of course I didn't take a thing. I essentially I, I didn't even take the camera bag into the venue. I just left it in the trunk of the car and said, Oh crap, I didn't you know, I didn't have any batteries. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, you, you can't run to CVS or you know, the grocery store and buy, you know, uh batteries for the GH four or any of these things. Mm-hmm. Just out of luck, right? Just yeah. out of luck. Yeah. Um, and the terrible thing is I, you come up with the big question, how in the world do you remember all the stuff that you need to bring for a shoot? Yeah. I, you know, unless you have a checklist, which maybe, you know, when you're doing a paid gig or something like that, maybe you do have something like that. But how about when you just want to say, you know what? I'm going on a little outing with some friends. Let me mm-hmm. take a camera with me other than my iPhone. What do I need yes. to bring? Yes. Do you, have you run into this problem, Keith? I have. I've I've left for even paying gigs and forgotten important things. Yeah. Um, I think, so, the, the farther and less convenient it is to go back <laughs> to, to, to get to bring, to, to get the stuff you forgot. Yes. The more careful I need to be. Ah, um, yeah, that's and, true. And and the last so I mean I've done some gigs like really close to my home and I I probably forgot more stuff in those situations than other situations because yeah. I don't care as much because I know I can go back yeah but you mentioned checklist I actually do for important stuff I do have a checklist yeah that's and, smart and, which I think yeah, is great yeah and I kind of reuse it you know I I will for particularly like an important gig or trip or something I will make a specific checklist I'll copy and paste it from things you know like I'll put the camera down and then I'll think about all the things that go with the camera, like batteries, cards, uh, memory cards. Yeah. Um, any other things. And I kind of put that in the camera bag and then I have like an audio section. What audio do I need? And then I list all those things out, you know, cables and things that you might forget adapters. Maybe if it's, you have to plug into some PA and has some weird connectors. Um, and then lighting kind of have a section for lighting, um, camera support gear, like tripods or, sliders or things like that in another section and then um you know so i have like four or five kind of sections that are separated and then i'll and then i'll kind of keep looking at it and then add to it as i think of things and then as i load stuff in the vehicle or load it in an area that i'm going to take to the vehicle or wherever i'm going i will uh check it off um so that's like a kinda, shopping list i mean it's, it's, it's like it's, a, yeah. it's just a grocery <laughs> shopping list just of tech stuff yeah exactly and and sometimes I it I'll I I'll I'll even forget to put stuff on the checklist, you know. Yeah. So, um, but usually if you're just kind of sitting down quietly for a few minutes, you can kind of get a pretty complete list. And I would think with your set of gear, it's not like an unlimited amount of stuff. No, it's so, very small, which is really yeah. disappointing, right? Because yeah. be, because with the small amount of stuff, and the, the, admittedly, I was just bringing. I was just bringing a couple of lenses, the body, a flash, and uh, you know what? I remembered to put the batteries in the flash. I just didn't remember okay. to put the battery in the camera. Yeah, uh, which, which I and and the reason why. See, here's the problem too. I have three batteries for the GH4. Okay, yes, the the original one, and then I bought a, a set of two. You know, as mm-hmm. as backups and stuff like that. The yes. problem is that. The smart thing would be to leave it in the camera bag, like I leave everything else. Everything is there, right? Yes, uh, yes. But 
it needs to get charged, so I leave it in a different area uh, of my office. I don't leave yes. it in the bag. Because I say, oh, it's always going to be here in the office. Well, you know what? It was always there. I just never bring it. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, uh, you, you just know that you guys, I'm so busy concentrating on, oh, I got to get batteries in the flash. Oh, I got to make sure the, the uh, SD card is, uh, you know, ready, whatever yeah. I'm going to use, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Make sure I have uh, uh, this uh, mount for the tripod. Uh, uh, you know, make sure I bring this lens. You know, do yeah. I have the right adapter? La, 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 yes. la, la. And you know what? Oh, the the battery, uh, that's all part of the camera. Yeah, I think that's what it is in the in, in the back of my head. Oh, the battery's yeah. all part of the camera. But so nope. what? Yeah. So here's another thing that 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 helps me sometimes. Um, if you like, what I do a lot of times is I'll load a card into the camera. You know, so I'll take one of my cards that I've reused, okay, SD cards, and I'll put it into the camera, and then I'll format it so that it's ready to go so I don't have to mess with it when I get to the location. Okay. At least I have one card that's formatted. I don't do that with all of them, just the first one, right? So okay. So I can just get it, get up and go. Right. And so when you do that, you have to have a battery, right? Sure, correct. So, and you have to, and then you're maybe aware of issues uh, with it. Yeah. yeah. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. So at least you have the battery and you have the card. And then that also kind of reminds you, oh, I need cards if I need to shoot a long time and I need more batteries. So then, that hmm. kind of reminds you to load those batteries up into your into your kit. Yeah, so. yeah, that, that, that's a that's a great idea. I should get into the habit of reformatting the cards. The problem is that I have big cards, and I just say, "Oh, I hardly took anything the last time. Why go through the trouble of reformatting right now?" You know what I mean? So, yes. so, so I just leave it the way it is, and I'll separate it out by shoot date and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, but. I should. I used to do that. I used to uh -huh. reformat cards for every new job that I was going to do. Yeah, and that's probably the the smarter way to to handle it. Yeah, and it's also a little test, mini test of the system. Correct. Um, it's a way for you to verify that the camera is actually functioning. So it'll probably be functioning when you get there. Right. And I've actually had that happen. The camera's died or something's broken. Mm -hmm. You know. Um. Maybe it needs a little cleaning, like the contacts or something. You know, something's just not right. So it's just like a little pre-check. Yeah. Um, sometimes with really important gigs where I'm just super paranoid, and I've done this a few times, I pretty much set up, and we're talking about like lots of equipment and stuff, but, you know, not like five things. It's more like 100 things. Right. I pretty much set up everything. Like I set up the whole studio that I'm going to reproduce and, you know, on location at the client's location. I'll just do it here <laughs> oh you home. oh you mean uh, you mean you'll almost do like a test run type of yes. thing of what you're going to need yes I'm oh that's do very a test. interesting yeah and so I, I actually have all the cables and everything all, everything's all connected all the equipment that i need is, yeah. is, is actually functioning and working and you know i've discovered oh this doesn't work or you know i need to set this use a different cable for this because this cable's broken or maybe it's you know different levels in the preamps or whatever you know it can get really complicated and, and you know, your memory's only so good and your checklists are only so good. Really, the best thing is just set up the set, you know, use the setup at your home before you leave. Right. And then you're assured that you have some working system and then have a backup too. <laughs> you, you, you know, the, 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 those are great suggestions. I mean, what could have saved me? Even just take one single photo. 
Yes. As, as, as a pre-test. Hey, you know, yeah. lo- load up the card, take the photo, make sure in, in some ways in the, you should just say, hey, does the camera work? That, yes. That could have saved my, my bacon right there. Yeah, and it literally takes maybe 30 seconds or less. So. Uh, too long because the power on of the GH4 just takes forever. So that's actually <laughs> not true. It's very, very quick. I'm just completely impatient. Well, yeah, no, hey, those are great suggestions. I uh, I hate myself for, for missing it, but then again, I didn't have to um, take myself away from the buffet table, and uh, I got to enjoy uh, engorging myself with unhealthy food uh, instead of taking pictures. So all was not lost. That's good. You actually got to enjoy the event instead of I did. being a I did. Still weird, being weird, a weird spectator. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, Keith, thank you so much for uh, yep. for some of those suggestions. Uh, let's take another break, yes. and we will come back with even more important items to discuss as we continue on with tech. really a question but what i'd like to do is revisit keith something we talked about in an episode way 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 back long Mm -hmm. time ago yes and i think it's time for a a revisit Mm. and i'd like to revisit the area of cloud backup this is something keith that i have resisted to do uh, because as our listening audience knows, uh, if it costs more than 10 cents, I do not want to spend any money yes. uh, on it because I am the ultimate cheapskate and yes. uh, I plan to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. But it has also come to my attention that I am running, uh, I am essentially playing Russian roulette right now. Uh, because my I, I keep everything on this network attached storage Synology thing. The uh-huh. whole life is here. Plus, it's also like in various, uh, I don't know, shall we say like Yahoo slash Google accounts somewhere here and there, blah, 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 this uh-huh. and that. Uh, sometimes I've even resorted to the fact of, sending smaller files as attachments to my email, knowing that they'll be backed up there. Yes. Now, that is not a great way to do things, folks. I will tell you right now, because I I, I think they have a retention period. I don't think it lasts forever. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a great way. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to do it for, like, the very short interim, okay, maybe that's okay. But yeah. uh, but it, it, as far as like lifelong type of things like from back in, you know, 2006 or whatever it is, forget it. You're not going to get anything there. Mm, OK, so, Keith, I want to use cloud backup for that very thing. Yes. I, 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 I do. I do love my Synology. I do love my network attached storage. It's got a lot of storage. I keep a lot of video files uh, mm-hmm. uh, there. A lot of my projects are there. That's yes. all terrific, right? 
But you know, let, let let's talk practical stuff too. How about like uh, uh, you know maybe tax forms that I've had over the last few years, right? That I'd like to keep, or mm. old mementos that I've digitally encoded, uh, you know, photographs, home movies, whatever you wh- whatever. And I don't really want to. I mean, I'll, I'll always keep it on the NAS. But I'd also like to have a nice backup somewhere else where I can be relatively assured that it will be there. I think cloud backups might be my answer. And I want it to be very easy to access. Yes. Now, Keith, uh, I think in our last, uh, however, 100 years ago when we, when we <laughs> visited cloud backup, you were using a product called Backblaze. Yes, and I still am. And you still are. Let, let's mm-hmm. kind let's kind of delve delve into that if we can. Sure. Um, I'd like to know. Uh, like I said, we delved into this about a hundred years ago. Hundred years past now. Are you still happy with Backblaze? And give me a reason why. Overall, I'm I'm happy with it. Um, I there's a couple of quirks that with it uh, mostly. Um, I think because my my backup was so large to it, and and I guess over time maybe their system changed slightly. Little little things in the architecture changed, and their database became unmanageable even for its own self. Um, and so there was a really big, really big hurdle, I guess, problem that I faced when I switched over from my trusty old Mac Pro cheese grater to the iMac Pro this year. Oh, or earlier this year. Yeah. So, which which wasn't that long ago, frankly. No, it was it was you know early like, I think it was like January or February when yeah. I got it kind of switched all over, and um, so what happened was normally when you switch computers, there's a method in Backblaze to transfer the backup, the source of the backup from from an old computer to a new computer. It's called inherit backup state, and you just go into Backblaze, um, you you uh, Use the same username and login when you log into this uh, system, the Backblaze system, and then there's a choice to inherit backup state, and then it gives you a list of what other computers you have in your, on your account, and then you choose that computer. There's, it's kind of a label, like, and for example, mine was called Mac Pro, like 2012, okay, because that's when I got it. Sure. Um, that's when I started that particular backup. So that backup was like eight years old. <laughs> Or something and, like and, that. And, and, and is that one huge backup? Is, yeah. Is, is it like gigabytes or? Yeah, it was some, like 60 or 70 terabytes. Oh, wow. Okay, huge. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah, because it can build up a lot in that time. And that's most, you know, it's mostly video stuff. Sure. It's not all, it's not like every video file I have because some of them are, are too big to even back up. But it's pretty, it's a lot of them. It's almost all of them. So, um, yeah. So, but in, in, and also there's just a lot of little files that are backed up that, that I think increased the database size just as much as a big file. So Backblaze has this file that it writes to to keep track of what it's backed up and what it has in it. You know, it's just I, I don't ex- exactly know what the format is of the database. I assume it's something like SQL, but who knows. Um, anyway, so it writes to this file and changes it all the time, and whenever it's backing up, it updates the file. So I guess the file either got corrupted or it got into a state where it couldn't be inherited to this new computer. It worked fine on the old computer. So whatever state it was on that one, but it just, 
it just couldn't be transferred to the new computer. It just kept failing. And and one thing that's not great about Backblaze is they're kind of unfelt helpful when things like this happen. Uh, as just, far as support goes, you're you're yeah. saying okay. yeah they don't they don't just like ignore you. They will respond, but they'll their response is mostly like sorry. <laughs> yeah, in yeah. this case, there are too yeah. many variables. They don't want to deal with it. Yeah, and and the fact is, that it's such a cheap service that if they did give you a lot of support, like somebody like me, who they're losing money on, right? With, you know, seventy terabytes, right? Um, they're probably encouraged to not be that helpful. Like, there's probably business meetings where they look at the chart and say, "Look at all these people that are <laughs> taking advantage of us. Get rid of these people. Whatever you can do." <laughs> You know, right? You right, know, right. and then they then they say, and these are the people we want—the people with, you know, one megabyte of, of 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 storage space on our system. These are the people we want. Get more of these people. Right. Be very helpful to these people. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. So they, they <laughs> I'm not sure they do that. I'm just kidding. Right. Backblaze, folks. Right. But don't, I can understand. Don't cut it. off Keith's account, please. <laughs> he need, he needs his files. Yeah, but if it was my business, I would, you know, I. I, I probably wouldn't, you know, say discourage those people, but I wouldn't be super helpful either because, yeah, you know, you're going to go out of your way to keep, you know, 20 disks in their system that are probably worth like a thousand, thousands of dollars and only get like 50 to 60 bucks a year, mm -hmm. never pay those off. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, it. anyway, so if you do have an issue like that, they're not too helpful and you just have to kind of, you're on your own. I had this issue in the past when I switched from, like an older Mac Pro to a newer Mac Pro, kind of the same issue. But I was able to kind of recover from that and get the new Mac Pro using this old Mac Pro's backup. But this time it just didn't work. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to have to bite the bullet and just start re-uploading all my files again. So, so let me interrupt you here. Yes, yes. Before we get too much further into this. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you are trying to, are you trying to get this 2000, what was it, 2016, you said 2016 backup? Uh, it's actually 2000, I said 2012, but I think it's 2013. Okay, so you're trying yeah. to get this 2013 backup onto your brand new iMac of 2018. Is It's it, kind of the database. It's like so that the iMac will be able to use to back up the same drives and have access to the same drives. Oh, okay, it, got yeah. it. So, yeah. so, so, so the new iMac... Or really, just a new computer. Period. Any new we'll, computer yes. will be able to find the Backblaze backup on the black on the Backblaze servers or yeah. whatever it is. Yes, and then if you have those same drives attached that were attached to your, to your old computer uh -huh. to your new computer, it'll just act like they're the like same drives. Like nothing's happened. And nothing's stuff like happened. That. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. And, and, yes. And Got so it. if you had a small. Small backup that would be really easy, you know, uncomplicated, not too many files. It probably works really well. But with with mine, I have so many files and it's so old. There's probably just a lot of cruft and it couldn't deal with it. And and so. and what do you think would be considered uh, small to 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 make it easy? Like you're talking, you have sixty terabytes. You said sixty terabytes. Yeah, uh, sixty to seventy. Yeah, yeah. sixty uh -huh. to seven ter terabytes. What do you think is a quote unquote manageable level? Oh, I'd say, um, I mean, I'd say it's even manageable up to 70, 80, if, as long as you have a fresh backup. Okay. But when it. you have this, when you have this huge backup that's gone through a couple computers and lots of years, 
mm-hmm. and maybe different architectures as Backblazes evolved and gotten better or whatever. Maybe they stopped supporting, you know, old files that are really old and... So your, what could yeah. you have done differently during that span of time? Could, should you have backed up using, well, I mean, when are you going to know they're using different architecture? But, you know, should you have migrated some of those old backups to something new or, or you just really can't, you just got to roll dice and just hope for the best? I think in this case, you just have to roll the dice because they don't really open their architecture to you. They don't tell you what they're doing. They, right. They just, just update really... and stuff like that, and here you go. Yeah, and they have little help help web pages to tell you what to do when this happens, and they have good procedures and this and that. But but um, sometimes it's just you're just overtaxing the system. So anyway, so what happened was I just said, okay, well I'm going to keep this Mac Pro backup alive, and so every 30 days, if you don't have the original computer connected that have backed up all these drives, mm. it will actually forget them. So if I backed up a drive and uh, 35 days had passed since I connected that computer or that drive right. up, it would actually just delete it from the Backblaze system. You can never retrieve it again. Oh, that's yeah. that's not great, is it? No, it's not. Well, it's okay if you're connected and, and remember to connect your, your hard drives to the computer once in a while. And so basically every at the end of every month now, I've been connecting my old Mac Pro and replugging in my my hard drives that I have backed up on to that Mac Pro, mm-hmm. and then I change a couple. I change. I have this one file that I just changed the date in it, so it's just kind of a new file. It's been modified, and that works really well. It, at first, it wasn't working too well. Like I'd plug it in, and it would take a really long time to recognize that these drives are now plugged in. It would take like days, mm-hmm. and I said, I said hey, maybe if I just put something new on the drive, it'll detect it faster. And then actually worked. So I before I do all this, I modify this file. It I I plug in my old Mac Pro, log in, start start doing the 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 sync, and then in about a day, probably less than a day, it it recognizes that all those drives have been connected, all those old drives to this old computer backup, and everything's great. Mm-hmm. And so I've been doing that for ever since I migrated over to the iMac. So at least I had a backup of all these old drives, and and then and then once. <clears throat> so then once it's synced up and my old Mac Pro is now has another 30 days of life with these drives and then I replug all these drives back into my new iMac and continue to upload these drives. So I'm actually almost done. I've actually so I've got six huge drives. That's what the 70 to 90 terabytes are. And I've only got I'm I'm have I have two drives left and the and so I'm down to I'm just looking at it right now. Um, the one drive that I the second to the last drive that I have to back up, I only have 1.7 terabytes left. Oh wow! To back up, to which back up which is not a lot for you. No, no. And then so once that's done, then I'm going to have that one finished, and I'm going to start backing up the very final drive. Mm-hmm. And once that final drive is backed up, which I think will take about a month, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> really, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe three weeks. Sure. Um, then I'm just going to. Uh, kill that old Mac Pro backup. I'm just not going to connect it anymore. Oh. And then I, and I'm going to have the full set of backups on my new iMac. Right. And I, and I won't have to do this tedious thing of unplugging and plugging. Right. And, and back. But it so, has taken a while to, to do all that, so. Yeah. I mean, I've been backing up since, like, February. So what is it now? It's November. So, like, mm. six months, seven, uh, yeah, seven months. Yeah. Yep, eight that, months. Yep. Eight months, yeah. 
Yeah. I, uh, I forgot how to add and subtract. Oh, that's all right. Like, no, yeah. it's cl- you know what? It's close enough. Uh, <laughs> nine, maybe it's nine months. It, it, close <laughs> enough. You, you, you know, let... I, I also want to explore the actual usefulness of this of these cloud backup services. Yes. Uh, as I mentioned in my introduction, uh, I, I, I want to know what the... I know what the experience is when you're sitting in front of your desktop and you're, you know, having this backed up, you're having that, you know, that that's all great. Yes. But what I'm hoping that something like this does is not... It, it's, it's almost unfair to say backup... Because what I want is I want cloud availability. So, you want to be able to get files from some, somewhere else remotely? Right. And, uh-huh. and I want to be able to get it from this one cloud backup thing if possible. I don't, yeah. know, I, I don't know if that's the case or not. Yeah. You'll be able to, as long as it's fully backed up, which might take a while depending on your upload speeds. Because right. that's, that's really the kicker. It, it takes a long time to upload data. Oh yeah, especially on my crappy DSL thing. It'll yeah, it'll probably take months to to get it up there. Yeah, because I have a really super fast upload speeds. What, what are your ups, upload speeds? I don't know. I think it's Megs? like five meg five megabytes a second or something. Wow, it's pretty fast. That's really fast. Yeah, that's what I get fast. down for crying out loud. So yeah, well, I have like a gigabyte download. Yeah. So usually with with internet services the upload speed's a lot slower yep. than the download speed exactly yeah so um and even with my super fast download speed it's still taking you know quite a long time to back this stuff up sure but um so experience wise yeah you can go remotely and you can um download those files to your local computer or wherever you are mm-hmm. uh, you can even load direct download directories or you know whatever you want it usually comes in a zip file mm-hmm. um it could be a large pretty large file too i think i've zipped up like up to a terabyte before oh wow kind of crazy yeah okay so um but can you can you see it on in the cloud in in other words oh you could so what you do is you see you click on you first you click on your backup and then because maybe people have different computers in their same account so but just saying you just have one you you'll click on your one computer that you have backed up and then you'll see all the drives that is associated with that computer Mm -hmm. and then it's kind of like a directory tree um, you'll see a bunch of drives on the left. For example, Rodney Drive One, mm-hmm. Rodney Drive Two. Right. For example, you click on those, and then it it expands out on the left side, uh, all the folders that are in that drive. Mm-hmm. And then you click you click on the left on the folder. It's kind of like the Finder. You know, you click yeah. on the left, and sure. then it expands to the right what is inside it. Either files or folders. More files or folders on the right. Uh-huh. And then you can um, click on what you want to restore, and then. You can either download the restore or you can have it loaded onto a hard drive and they can send it to you. And I actually used that service before. Yeah, I, I've uh, read about that where you yeah. where if it's too big or whatever it is, they'll just send you a physical hard drive or, yes. or vice versa. You, you know, if you want to back up something that's too huge and, you know, like maybe in my case, that might be the way to go. Yeah, so, I don't know if they have the service where you can load up a hard drive and send it to them. I don't think the cheap... There's two different services with Backblaze. And as far as I know, the one that you're talking about where you can upload a drive is, right. is, is the more expensive version. Okay. It's, it's like double the price or it's by, it's by megabyte or gigabyte or something. Right. So I'm not sure if that's what you'd want to go for. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't because I don't even want to do it. Right. Yeah. Right. But, um, 
but they will they will they have these little four tiny little four terabyte drives they use and they will um send those to you and they'll charge you like two hundred dollars each for them but then if you return them they'll refund it to you so it's actually really cool oh that's actually pretty good yeah and i don't even think you have to pay postage either oh wow yeah so it's actually i was really surprised how awesome it was that that they can do that because that that saves you a lot of downloading time and and reliability because sometimes the downloading this really huge things over the internet's not doesn't work that well right exactly yeah so yeah and then it's only like five or six dollars a month so it's crazily cheap you know to get this backup i mean it's it's cheaper to just use this their backup service than to than to take a buy a hard drive and then and then uh like copy stuff onto it and then take it to your friend's house yeah. Or send it send it to your friend's house, which is another way to do kind of a cloud pseudo cloud backup. Mm-hmm. Um, there are technical ways to do that if you have a friend that lives somewhere, you know, like far enough away where their their data wouldn't get destroyed when yours got destroyed, <laughs> <laughs> like far enough from the asteroid hit, right. like a few thousand miles away. Right. But uh, so 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 let's review. Let's review and summarize here. So okay, my, uh, look, it looks like I can check off a couple of things. I, I could pretty much back up any file that I want, and yes. it'll be available uh, in the cloud whenever I want it. Even just a single file, I, yes. I should be able to see it, just like a window finder. Yeah, exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't I don't have to have an entire drive zipped up and downloaded in order for me to get this. I should Correct. be able to see each and every individual file just as if it were my hard drive here at the house or what have you. Correct. Uh, uh, and then, of course, for real backup situations, that's where you would have the the the, the bigger zipped up file and or hard drive shipped to you, uh, of which then you can just upload it to your system and restore and all this kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. And uh uh how how much is the service again? Um I think it's I think it's like 6 5 or 6 dollars. Let me check. Right. I don't think it's very expensive. Um I mean, I think if you buy a whole year's worth it's pretty darn pretty darn cheap. So do you least. do you use stuff like that? In in the capacity that I'm illustrating, like you know, let's say you're uh, let's say you're out and about, uh, let's say you're at CES, and yeah. uh, and you uh, are about to buy the uh, the Ursa Mini, and uh, but uh, you forget your uh, your bank account number, and you have huh. it on a notepad uh, text file uh-huh. on you know that you've backed up and there's no way to get to your machine except for this backup. Would you be able to get that off of Backblaze while you're ready to, to give them a, uh, a credit card? Yeah, I could do that. It might, it might be kind of slow to, to do it super quick like that, but yeah, I could do that. But you could do it. I mean, like you could say, Hey, I'll be back in like two minutes or something like that. Let me get you a card number that, that I've stolen from, uh, from my, uh, let me log into Rod's computer and I'll get his his card numbers and give those to you. <laughs> the, 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 credit, the credit card printing machine that Rod has. Yes. Oh, okay, yeah. good. Yeah, you could do that. So I don't necessarily 
do that, but theoretically, yes, you could. And I, you can do it. It's just like going to a remote system and looking at the hard drive on right. a remote system. I, 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 I think my thing is is about availability. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, how, you know, can I get to it without much of an issue? Can I get to it relatively, you know, within reason, relatively quickly? You know, uh, uh, you know, if I clone my hard drives here, and, and maybe not even all the video files, but really more important things like, uh, you know, actual documents that we all have somewhere hidden away somewhere. You know, would that be available to me? And it sounds like it yeah. would be. Yeah, it would be. I think it's kind of cool. It's like a little remote Dropbox of your yeah. hard drives. Yeah. You know yeah. what? Excellent. Excellent. Because, you know, I, I've used Dropbox before, and it's just a little limited, and I'm too cheap to, to get it expanded and stuff. But something like Backblaze might be, because I think their storage capacities, I wouldn't need as much as you have. You know, I probably would like to have the four terabyte type of thing going on. Yeah. Yeah, that would be fine. Yeah. That would be easy. So I looked at the pricing here, and for the personal backup service, which is what I have, it's $5 a month, $50 a year, or $95 for two years. Yeah. So it's pretty cheap. Not bad at all. Yeah. And it's unlimited. That's as a, long as you, an unlimited meaning, un, unlimited as far as like I could put 60 terabytes if I wanted to. Yes, yeah, so you could abuse them and become a undesirable customer that's pretty good and 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 now since our last recording of backblaze they actually we actually can confirm that they've been in business for a while now oh yeah they're yeah they've been 10 or more years yeah that's pretty good yeah i've been i've been with them almost from the beginning i think yeah they have a business so the, the one i was telling you about was the one where you can upload a synology drive to them they send you a drive oh and let me just see what, how much their pricing is. Um, well, this is actually. There are a bunch of competitors out there, you know, like uh, Keith. We were going to talk about some things like the iCloud, the Apple's iCloud thing. Uh-huh. Uh, I've also seen, uh, read some things uh, for a company called iDrive that's promoted a lot on uh, on uh, some radio tech shows that I listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that, you know, a, a, a bunch of 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 cloud backup services are out there. Uh, yeah. But you know, we 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 just happen to have a person here in the Tech Move Studios uh, that actually uses some <laughs> uh, good stuff like uh, Backblaze. So yeah, that's good. I use yeah. I also use iCloud a little bit, but. And I was going to spring for, you know, the large version of iCloud. But yeah. right now I'm just using the free version. I haven't really Which, which is only five. It's only five. Uh, was it? it, it it's, the storage is not huge on that, though, right? For, for iCloud. Um, I think you can just buy more. Right. You, you can it. buy, but the free stuff is, is very limited. I yeah, the free stuff is limited. It's just like enough for a small device. Right. But it actually has helped a couple times. Um I think one of the kids' iPhones needed to be restored, and luckily he had backed it up, or it was automatically backed up to the cloud, and he didn't have a lot of stuff on it. Uh-huh. So we were able to just reconstruct his lost iPhone really easily. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 
So it's pretty useful for that. I was actually thinking of paying for it because it's not very expensive to pay for the full backup. And that's actually really cool because then you don't have to worry about connecting to iTunes and doing that stuff. It just kind of in the background uploads to, to iCloud. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's I, a, I that's might, a I might recommend that. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so, but I do, I actually do like Backblaze. I think they're the best deal, and from what I can see, pretty pretty darn reliable. They've saved my butt a couple times. Great, great. Yeah. I will uh, I will investigate and report next time if I've uh, pulled the trigger on it or not. Yeah. I think, I think with all this 4K footage that I'm taking uh, along with a lot of these raw files, uh, I'm going to have to start thinking about really moving into something like that so I, th I think so and i think once you have some disaster which you've been really lucky you have i have been very fortunate yeah very whereas fortunate. i've had you know multiple many, many yeah right. right um i'm just y you'll you'll be glad that you have some good backup system agreed yep yeah. agreed i i'm i like i said i'm playing russian roulette right now I'm, I'm it's just uh you know i don't know how much longer i'll be able to you know uh uh withstand but uh you may want to at least in the meantime before you because it's going to take a while for you to upload even a small amount yeah um you may want to just get a big drive and and copy your data to it and then give it to somebody or you can encrypt it too you know you can use apple's encryption stuff mm -hmm. so that somebody else couldn't get into it but you could give it to some trusted person to at least hold for you that you know so it's off-site in case yeah. you have a disaster on your site because yeah, that's, that's true that's the main reason for having it I feel like having a remote cloud backup. That's true. Is to, you know, just have your there data are there else. are does yeah because even if you back all your stuff up locally, if you if if you have a fire or something, right, it's just gone. Yeah, and so true. Anyway, true. No, good, 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 good info. Great. Yeah, Keith, uh, we'll we'll revisit uh, Backblaze again in another year or two, whatever it okay. is. Okay. And uh, maybe by then I will have signed up for the service. So we'll we'll find. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be sooner than that. But well, you know who knows? Uh, who, who knows? Who knows what the the real uh, thing will be? Okay. Very good. All right. That's Backblaze. Thank you very much, Keith. We yep. will take a quick break and come back with more on tech. Welcome back to Tech Move. It is Rod Louie and Keith Moreau, and we are coming down uh, to the final segment of the show, and we want to do um, something that we kind of teased at the start of this episode, and that is something that Keith has been drooling over uh, I don't know, for, a, for a little while now since it was announced, just because of the possibilities of this thing it's the black magic designs pocket cinema camera 4k and uh keith you you do have one in your possession now as we speak is that correct i have one in my sweaty little hands and um okay l l let's just let's get let's just get down to brass tacks right now yes is it terrific it is so much better than I thought it would be. Really? It it is amazing. It is like almost the most favorite camera I've ever bought. 
Get out of here. Really? Yeah. There's a lot of reasons for it. But I think one of the reasons is that I feel like I'm back in the 5D Mark II days, except instead of having a, you know, kind of crappy... A a, a, a (laughs) 50-pound boat anchor attached to you? No, no, the... The 5D Mark II days was just, you know, it was a, it was a DSLR. Yeah. And it was the first one to shoot. But it was heavy, good. too. I remember you bringing those. <laughs> the, 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 I remember being being on location with you on, with that thing. It was huge. It was enormous. It was like, it was, it was like a C200 on steroids, it seemed like. No, 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 no. no it was, not, not that bad, but it was, it was pretty big. It was, it was, it was a largest. Well, this one's not much smaller than it, but... I think maybe because I had all this stuff, it was rigged out. And oh, everything. you did. Oh, you yeah. had. Oh, you had. You you had the moon put on that thing. It was fantastic. Yeah, but just on its own, just kind of carrying it around. Um, it's basically just a camera with um, a really well. Okay, so here's the thing about say the the back in the Canon DSLR days. Those had a viewfinder. You had an EVF on them. Yep. You know the little the little viewfinder, but but they were really bad. They were like so bad that you couldn't do anything with them really you couldn't focus with them you could just kind of see the indicators on them yeah but but you wouldn't really even be able to tell if you were in focus they were that bad that back back then the evfs are terrible so because of that you couldn't really even use it much other than just general framing right you couldn't use it for focusing which is the main reason to use it um so and so it's kind of similar to this one in that because there's no evf at all on the black magic mm-hmm. <laughs> 4k there's no evf all there is is an LCD. So that kind of reminds me of, but just the size, shape, and kind of beautiful quality of the image, it recalls back to those days. Because the image on the 5D Mark II was, for the time, it was like game-changing beautiful. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the shallow depth of field and all. Yeah. But this is, like, this is like having what I've always wanted, which is a cinema-level camera in a small DSLR package. This has never existed before. Really, this has never existed before. The GH fives and those and the and the sony a7s and all that they don't they just don't get to this level as and you're talking about image quality yes i'm talking about image quality yeah I'm talking, yeah i'm talking about image i mean this is all about image quality yeah. and that's that's the thing that this has i feel like that nothing else has in this form factor wow and 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 very little has even in a larger form factor for example i think this image might be better than the c200s that i have that are gigantic and yeah. really expensive yeah, this camera only costs like thirteen hundred dollars. You know, that's that's another thing about it. It's just you can get like ten of these, and it'll still be less than a rigged out C two hundred. You yeah. know, with the lens and stuff. So yeah. it's interesting because it's kind of awakened this excitement for cameras that I haven't had for a little bit. Yeah, you know, I'm, and I get little excitements here and there, like when I get a GH five. Okay, it's another camera. I get to explore it and stuff. And but it's it still has limit, you know, limitations, the image quality and stuff like that. Uh, I get the C two hundred. It's it's great, but it's big and it's not useful in all situations. This is something I can actually carry around, and I can shoot if I want. I could shoot raw, four K, in sixty P. Yeah, if I want, you yeah. know. And adding these things to it to make it a little bit more versatile is not that big of a deal. So anyway, that's my initial impression is that I just absolutely love it. It's just wow. Yeah. The, the, now, now, now let, let, let's also say in the past, Blackmagic Design has they, they've always had some great cameras come out. But would you say that this is by far and away just the greatest thing they've put out thus far? Yes, I think it is. 
I, yeah. I, I think it is because I think that it serves a larger, um, a larger audience, a larger um, potential buyers than, mm -hmm. than any of their other cameras. I feel like their other cameras in the past were really specialized. Like they had a lot of limitations. So you had to be kind of a niche buyer to want I would, one. I would agree with that. I would agree yeah. with that. I mean, I, I never considered purchasing a black magic design for myself. Yeah. I, yeah, the, I I always knew it was for like filmmakers like yourself and and ones who who had you know the dedicated you know business to 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 do that. Uh, but the, looking at the pictures of it, looking at pictures that you've shown me of your own personal rig, it looks like something that uh, I mean, it really looks. Uh, I mean, f forgive me, Black Magic Design for saying it. It really looks cute. Yeah, it's cute. It's yeah. cute, and it's it's. It's not small. It's not as small as a GH5, really. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a bit it's a bit wider. Um, it's it's basically like a third large third wider than the GH5. Everything else is about the same. Hmm. So just imagine a GH5 and kind of stretch it out a third. Okay. Make it okay. wider. Right. But um, so but, but still, just but it just looks like it sounds like it can do so much. It it can do so much when it comes to cinematic yes um, filming. That's yes. that's the thing that that sets it apart. Okay. Well, and we could talk about some of the pros and cons. I have a, I have a list of things. Um, let, 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 let's go with some of the pros that, yeah. that, that really stand out in your mind. So the pros are that whatever micro furthered sensor they they're using, I'm not sure if it's something they designed or something they're just using that maybe even the Panasonic's use is that coupled with whatever electronics they have to process it is really good. It, it is very filmic. It is the noise patterns that are on there are very organic when it is noisy because it can get noisy if you if you bump up the ISO in certain areas it can get noisy but the noise is nice it's not blocky or um, electronic looking it looks mm -hmm. like film looks a lot like film noise so that's something that makes it look more, more like film probably the fact that the noise is organic I think that's like the main the main selling point is that the images that it that come out of that, out of that sensor and go through the minimal processing look really really good, um, and so and then you couple that with uh, pretty good low light performance actually. That's what um, I'm interested to hear about. You, you yeah. know because uh, you, let let let's talk let's talk real quickly. Let's do a comparison. GH5, GH5S, and this new Blackmagic design camera. Uh, low light. What, what? How do they compare? It's pretty comparable to the GH5S. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. So I would say, but I think in some ways it's maybe better, and I'll have to say I have to explain why. I'm just going to look in my manual here and go to a certain page and open it, um, because it actually talks a little bit about. Um, I'm going to go to page 35. Well, hey, 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 while you look that up, let me throw yeah. this out at you. When you say it has good low light performance, to me, good low light performance for me is um, like let's say, uh, you know, I l l let's say you set your ISO high at like eight hundred or something like that, and it's yeah. still and it's still a decent image. Yeah, uh, and and very usable for me for me personally. 
what what are we talking about here? And I consider that, and and that's how I consider good low light performances is when you right. can hit that eight hundred ISO, still use something, but then anything after that thousand, twelve hundred, eh, like you said, it looks a little too blocky, looks a little too electronicy, all this stuff. How about mm-hmm. this Blackmagic design camera? Yeah, if you use the ISO, if you use this certain ISOs intelligently, and I'm going to give some advice on that later. Yep. Then it is really 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 clean um for for this level of camera um if you um choose the wrong isos then it can get kind of noisy ah so it's a, so you have to play around a little bit with it to, yeah you to just, just have dial to, it in just right well you have to know some rules mm-hmm. like you can't just keep turning up the it's not like other a lot of other cameras where they have one native iso and you just turn up the ISO and it just gets noisier and noisier. And there's actually a little, little, um, there's, it's a dual ISO, um, camera. So there's oh. a couple, there's a couple like that out there now. There's mm-hmm. like a, a lot of the Panasonics, the very, cams are like that. Um, the new Panasonic, um, Eva is like that. Um, the GH five S is like that. Mm-hmm. And they have a, they have a circuit in there that, um, is two, two different, electronic circuits which you can switch between and one circuit is amplifying the sensor stuff for a certain iso and then and then you can switch to a different circuit that amplifies it um very well to another iso and we'll talk about that a little bit later but anyway if you choose if you're kind of in between and you choose the wrong iso you can get bad results because you're using the worst performance of the of the amplification circuit Mm, okay got it yeah yeah so but we'll talk more about how that works maybe later sure um so, yeah, I would say low light, it is, well, I think it's way better than any other Blackmagic camera out there right now. Low oh, that's good. Oh, that's yeah. cool. I think it's better than the, than the Ursa. I don't know for sure because I haven't used the newest Ursa Mini Pro, but mm-hmm. from what I've heard, it is actually better than Ursa Mini Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an older Ursa Mini, and it's, I'm sure it's better than that. Um, I think it's probably rivaling the GH5S, but here's the thing. The GH5S... One of the reasons it's so good in low light is that it does a lot of noise reduction on its own. So, and they don't tell you this, the GH5S. You mean it does um, it like in camera? Yes, it, mm-hmm. it does it in camera. And actually the Sonys do that too. So this is the thing about like the A7S, A7S2 and 3, or actually the 3 is not out yet, <laughs> but the A7S2. <laughs> Unless it, we're breaking news right now, that, that, would, no. that, would be, that would be awesome. Okay, go on. Yeah, um, it... it when they when you start bumping up the ISO and you're getting to these ridiculous ISOs, there's a lot of noise reduction going on. And I don't know if you've used post processing noise reduction on things. You know, like when, like Neat Video or other apps that do noise reduction. Have you ever used anything like that? In the, in, no, in your, no, okay, okay. I I have not. I've I've not ventured that far. Okay. Well, there's a lot of that used in cinematography these these days. And in fact, it's actually yes. used just in general for for filmmaking um right. it's especially with raw the raw workflow yep. because sensors are noisy but if the sensor um puts out the certain ty- a certain type of noise and is good enough the noise can be pretty well reduced without too much loss in quality but what happens is what noise reduction does is it samples the noise and then it cancels it out but in but in doing that it will actually cancel out some of the detail of the image too so you get less noise, but then things look kind of mushy, kind of mm-hmm. plasticky. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the A7s do and kind of what the GH5S does. So you can bump up, and you can get stuff that looks pretty clean, but if you start 
looking into the image more, you know, blowing it up and looking at details, it's kind of mushy. It's like details have just been glossed over. As if, as if you use the smudge tool in Photoshop. They're just kind of, details are just wiped out. So you actually might see more detail in a noisy image, but it's noisy, but you could actually make out things. Whereas a noise reduced image would have no detail where there was before, but it would have less noise. So it's kind of a compromise. Um, kind of like, I don't know, when you're on your TV, when you turn up the sharpening, yep. everything starts getting kind of edgy and noisy. Yep. But then you can turn on your TV, you can turn on noise reduction, and then right. all that stuff quiets down, but yep. there's less detail. Correct. It's kind of the same thing. So the thing about the um, Blackmagic Design Pocket Cinema Camera 4K, which is a huge name. Um, <laughs> right, it is. But, but, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm just going to say Pocket 4K. Okay. Uh, so, so for the Pocket 4K, there's two modes of recording. One is RAW. And one is ProRes. Okay, it, don't, it doesn't record in MP, you know, any other compressed formats. It just records those two. So basically, two non-long uh, up formats, two um, uh, interframe formats. And if you use RAW, there's no noise reduction. So just in general, it's going to be a noisier image, no matter what ISO you use, whether it's the the optimal ISOs or the non-optimal. It's going to be noisy. Um, or noisier, okay? If you use ProRes, then there is actually, it's it's going through some type of noise reduction circuit. So if you're, sh I guess I would say if you're shooting in an extreme low light, like at 6400 or in, in that area, you, may, you might want to use ProRes because you're, you're going to get a little bit of the inherent noise reduction coming out of the camera. Um, if you shoot those high ISOs with RAW, you're probably going to have to do some post-processing noise reduction. But the the quality of it's going, going to be so much better that you're going to get a pretty good result. So, but just coming out of the camera, if you don't want to do any post-processing, there might be some noise here and there, maybe more than the GH5S or equivalent, mm -hmm. but the GH5S is kind of giving you this baked in noise reduction and you can't do anything about it. You, you, you're, you're stuck with this mushy image. Right. So it's kind of like your choice, but that's what makes this a cinema camera versus like the GH5, which is, which is not really a, a cinema camera. Mm. So that's, that's very that's very interesting there. That, that's, yeah, you, you know, you 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 know, for me, I always think that it's all about capturing an image, and maybe you can turn it into a cinema image. Yeah, you know, with a lot of post production and all this kind of stuff. But uh, now we're so, so like when you shoot this thing, and maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit with the. Um, uh, pocket uh, 4K, the image that comes straight out of it, 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 it just looks pretty darn great right out of the box. If you want to get the best dynamic range and the most cinematic quality, you have to shoot in their film um, film mode, which is kind oh, of like a log it. mode. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. So yeah. So you're, but you do have the ability to use a LUT to to at least look on the LCD screen an approximation of what it might look like if you used a LUT in post production. So that way you can see like a more normal image, like more like what your eye is seeing, but mm -hmm. the camera is going to be recording in this log format. And I wouldn't recommend recording in other formats. There's no point. Oh, if you're going to use this camera, if, if you're going to choose other formats to shoot this camera in, you might as well choose an GH5. Seriously. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. Because the other formats are squeezing the dynamic range down. They're not giving you that full dynamic range right. that the sensor can provide. So what's the point? You're going through all this work and you're, and then you're going to shoot on a squeezed image. It's like, why, why even buy this camera for that? Right. So, so, um, yeah, shoot and film like, but then you have to do some post-processing, but putting on a lot's pretty easy in, in post. 
you know, it's it's not it's not hard. So you just have to put it into a, an editing software and add, and add the LUT, and that's qu quick and easy. Nice. Um, maybe I'll go on with some of the other pros that I like. Yeah. Okay. So good user interface. I don't know if you've seen any or played with any of the Blackmagic cameras. I have not been able to do that. Okay. So we sh I should come and visit you, and we can go through it sometime. It's pretty Excellent. cool. First impression is, wow, this is kind of infantile looking. Mm. Because it's so simple looking, it's the letter. The lettering is really big, and it's very um, like <laughs> the font. The fonts are nice, and it's not like the typical Sony or Panasonic LCDs where right. the fonts they look like they're from the seventies. Yeah, uh, you know, teletypes. It, it, right. <laughs> yeah, right. which yeah, it's it true. actually looks it looks like an iPhone. You know, it the the fonts and everything they're they're scaled well. They have smooth edges. They're not all blocky. But the user interface, and it's big because it's a five-inch screen, so it's basically like looking at a full like iPhone X. But it's very, very simple, but easy to use and easy to get to things quickly. I, I think part of it is because there's not that many parameters to adjust. You know, so if you took like an A7 or Panasonic interface and you just removed uh, two-thirds of the parameters, <laughs> yeah. it would be a lot easier to use. Mm -hmm. But um, so part of it is just the fact there's less parameters to control. Like, I don't think there's any control over uh, picture profile. You just basically get three. You get their super, like, just regular Rec. 709. You get the extended Rec. 709, which gives you more highlights. And then you get the film-like, which is log. I don't think you can go in there and actually adjust anything more in there. It's just going to record those. Like, you can't bump up the black level a little bit or smooth out the highlights or do anything like you can actually on the on the Sony's and, and, and Panasonic's mm -hmm. or other cameras. So that, so I think maybe it's cause they don't give you that many choices. It's simpler, but in a way it's also just like, I don't have to worry about that now. I don't have to mess with that. Yeah, I just, I, I would imagine <laughs> that's probably pretty good actually. You know, yeah. I, I think is it, isn't that always the complaint about like our Panasonic's is that the menu system is sometimes just so, deep and detailed because you can control so much of it that most everybody just misses something. <laughs> they, just yes. get, they just can't get to stuff. And once you set it, you never touch it again because you're afraid you might goof, goof something else up. Here, it doesn't. It sounds like you almost eliminate that. Yeah, it just eliminates um, messing stuff up. Yeah, like yeah. the other the other time when I had I couldn't get my Panasonic out of out of auto ISO and like I didn't know how to do that. And there's just some <laughs> like. Because there's so many menu options, and anyway, right. yeah. So that so that's maybe part of why it's so simple, but um, but just in general, it's just I think it's whoever designed the interface is very smart, and it's kind of like the Apple kind of point of view. Just keep it simple. Don't give people too many choices, and then and then they can actually work, can focus on working. So that part's really cool. The interface, um, the the LCD image is huge. It's, you know, probably twice as big as, over twice as big than most other SLRs, digital SLRs. It's, it's, you know, five inches wide. It's amazing. I'm going to measure the diagonal right now. I have a little ruler here. That's pretty big. Just, yeah, I'm just going to verify that the, the actual size. Yeah, it's actually ex exactly five inches wide. Whoa. So it's pretty big. It has, I guess there's a con in that too, and I can talk about it in the cons, but... Um, I think for user interface point of view, like touching things and moving stuff, going to the menus and moving around, it makes it easier because bigger is easier. Mm -hmm. It's like bigger 
area for your finger to press. Sure, right. And the image itself on the LCD, whatever technology they're using is really nice. It's like an iPhone. So it's very, it's like a new iPhone. So it's a very high quality surface. Yeah. Great. It's not, yeah. A lot of, I don't know, a lot of camera manufacturers cheap out on their, on their LCDs. Mm. I don't know why they don't just put better ones in. Maybe this costs a dollar more per camera or $10 (laughs) more. I don't know. I don't know why they're so, they're so bad. Yeah. But this one is really, really good. And it's large. And the touchscreen on it works really well. It's very responsive. It's not like there's no lag or anything. Um, a really great pro is the fact that there's a USB-C output. And on most cameras, that USB-C output or whatever USB output is just to control things or maybe to charge the camera. Right. Um, in this case, it actually, I think you can charge the camera or power the camera through it. But But the main thing is that you can actually send the file out through that to a hard drive. And oh, so so you could directly plug some sort of external, like, HD hard drive out there to to this thing to record. Exactly, and so using has, USB C. Yes, using using USB C, which has a very high yeah uh, data rate, which can support really high data rates, and yep. pretty much anything this thing could spit out. I think it could support. Um, there are two other ways to record internally there's a cfast 2 um port and or or card slot and there's also um a qsd or the extended uh sd port so the super fast interface sd port uh card slot and not port card slot um and they and they just there's so there's two slots um those are great um the cfast i have a bunch of cfast 2 cards so it's not really an issue like I don't need to cheap out and use an SSD because um, I have a bunch of uh, CFast cards for my other cameras. But um, I actually did get a smallish Samsung um, one terabyte SSD, which is recommended. It's called the T5 mm-hmm. and not too expensive. I think a couple hundred dollars, maybe, maybe a little bit more. And well, that's uh, pretty cheap for a SSD one terabyte. That, I think so. That, yeah. I'm, that sounds, I, they, they used to be super expensive, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, they used to I, be super expensive. Yeah. So that part's pretty cool. It's really small and light. So that part's really cool too. You know, it doesn't add anything much to the bulk and weight of the camera. Um, and so I've just been uh, testing with that and I've been able to record uncompressed raw to it. I think 30 frames per second. I don't think I, I, th- I don't think you can do 60. I don't think the data rate can support that on this, on this drive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually haven't tried 60. I, I, I just heard that it doesn't work, but I've been doing uncompressed raw and it's recorded flawlessly. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's, so the thing that there, not only is it cheaper because if you got a CFast 2, one terabyte, even if they made them, it would probably be like $2,000. So like 10 times the cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, I paid like, Eight hundred dollars for five hundred twelve gigabyte cards, so half the size of this, right? And yeah. I paid eight hundred dollars, so you can see the price difference. And those and these were low low cost cards; they were like the the best deal you could get. So and the, but not only is it a lot less expensive and pretty convenient, um, but <clears throat> the fact is you can take this SSD off and you can plug it right into a computer, and you can either copy it super fast or just edit off the thing, or do the transcoding right off the hard drive. So say you want to transcode it from raw to ProRes or some other format. You can you don't have to spend the time to copy it. You can just start editing with it, just, or you can yeah. That, oh, that's very just right there, just right yeah. off the drive. Yeah. So I envision mm. just yeah, just having a bunch of 
Uh, if I need a quick turnaround, just plugging the right into my computer and then editing off that and then later doing the backup or, or whatever. You know, it just gives you more versatility to do editing because those SSDs are super quick and, they, and you can edit off of them. So that's, that's another pro. Um, let me see. What other pros are there? Oh, the ProRes support. Okay, so it, it actually supports ProRes, and I'm just going to look at the interface here for a second. So I'm going to go into the menu and then go into the record. So it's got two selections for codec and quality. One is raw. It goes lossless, 3 to 1, and 4 to 1 compression. So you can record raw lossless, which is kind of a ridiculous amount of data being used, but the best quality. Or you can use a compressed form of raw. But this is the old kind of raw. It's not the black, black magic raw, which is not even available on this camera yet. So this is the old style of raw where it's just a bunch of still images kind of grouped into a folder for every clip. So it's crazy. When you look at these folders, when you transfer these to your hard drive, it's just like thousands of these little pictures. And then your editing software combines them all together. Mm. <laughs> it's really annoying. Mm -hmm. uh, Blackmagic RAW is going to be more like a ProRes RAW. It's just one file per clip. Anyway, so, and then there's ProRes. And if I select ProRes, I can get HQ. I can get uh, 422, LT, and Proxy. So here's the thing. I would probably always record in HQ because that gives you... 10-bit uh, recording. Uh, when you go to 422, I believe it goes down to 8-bit. Okay, so that means there you don't get the advantage of the log formats. So I would always record in HQ. Um, and there's different uh, resolutions for all these uh, formats. Uh, 4K DCI, which is a little bit wider than standard UHD. It's 4, 4096 by 2160. And then there's Ultra HD, and then there's HD. So three different sizes. So... Um, yeah, so the fact that it has built-in ProRes is pretty cool because sometimes you don't really need to record RAW. Mm -hmm, right. And and you save a lot of space. But now I'm really hoping that Blackmagic RAW is available for this camera soon because that's going to give you the the quality of, of, of RAW but with a ProRes size. <laughs> yeah. So that's going to be really, really awesome. Yeah, that'll be helpful. Yeah, so those are all the pros that I... And there's more pros probably, but this is the short list that I have of the pros. Well, you, you'll you'll discover more, but uh, you know, I personally always love to hear the cons of things. <laughs> so 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 let's move to that. Let, let let's see what Keith Moreau. Eh, it's, it's probably not huge ones, but they're they're probably little annoyances that uh, could be improved improved upon. Yeah. So here's the thing: the camera's thirteen hundred bucks. So you have to make a few allowances for this. So I guess maybe these are petty these complaints yeah. <laughs> but there's a couple ones that I most think of they, them are yes <laughs> yeah i don't think they can actually do anything about most of these but there's a couple they could do stuff about okay so i think the number one um complaint that i've heard on the internet and that it, i haven't really experienced it being uh like totally totally bad but i can see it becoming bad over time is the battery door underneath where you remove the battery yeah so loose? i mean it's, is it loose or something it's a little it's it doesn't it doesn't seem to engage positively. So in oh. all pretty much every other DSLR I've had ever since the beginning of time, no matter how cheap they were, including my Quick Take one hundred back in nineteen ninety five or whenever they came out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the battery door has been like a no brainer. Like you never thought like this battery door is gonna break or it's kinda cheap or it doesn't latch properly. Like every single camera that had a battery from the beginning of time till now <laughs> has had a reliable battery door. Yeah. Yeah. And for some reason, I don't know 
I think they've made other battery doors in their other cameras before. Like I think the the pocket, the original pocket had this, mm-hmm. but for some reason they couldn't get it together on this battery door. <laughs> 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 and I hope that maybe they'll have a recall and just ship people out new battery doors they can install themselves that work better. I hope it's not an inherent design flaw or something. Um, it's, <laughs> but you'll just, I think if you do search on the internet and search for battery door and, and pocket 4k, you'll, you'll find a lot of complaints. Some people's are really defective. Like they just pop open for no reason. Oh really? Oh wow. Yeah. Now it's, it's not gonna, it's not disastrous cause there's still another latch that holds the battery in, but still it's annoying that it's, well, if you're hand holding it, it just pops open. It's like yeah. something to deal with. Um, yeah, they, they need to figure out how to make the latch more positive. I think it might be the travel of the latch. You know how there's that little button that you kind of slide and it unlatches it on all these DSLRs? Right. Um, it seems like the travel on this is really, really small. Like it's too small. Um, it should be a longer travel. Like, like it should, it should have more positive engagement because you're never quite sure if it's actually engaged or not. Hmm. You just, if it doesn't open, then you know it's engaged. Like there's just a very, very faint click, like almost like the little latch is really, really short, you know? Um, and so that the, the, the part that holds the, holds it to the camera is, is just too short. Um, maybe they can make a longer version or, or something like that. So yeah, they, they need to fix that. Cause for any kind of camera of any level of quality, this is like probably the worst one that's ever been made. Oh, so <laughs> like, even if you buy $200, um, the cheapest, cheapest, uh, you know, point and shoot right it's still got a better battery door so (laughs) nice that's great yeah like um and then okay so that's my worst complaint um another complaint which i don't think they can do anything about is the fixed lcd so the fixed lcd is kind of like the old you know it reminds me of of you know a lot of the canon dslrs which still have fixed lcds right right but then but then they have vf avs so you can actually look through the evf if you need to um but it is like a lot of um a lot of cameras that have fixed it's kind of big so the fact that it's fixed it takes up a lot of real estate uh, and i can see that they just couldn't get a flip out to work with such a so they had okay do we make a fixed lcd with a gigantic nice lcd or do we make one that flips out like a panasonic gh series or do we have something in between like a tilt and up and down like the sony's yeah because because a lot of the sony's they're also kind of a comp, not that great either because tilting up and down is not as useful as having a full, fully tiltable, swingable, flip-out LCD like a lot of other cameras have. Right. But I think they just said, let's just keep it simp- simple, let's keep it cheap. The LCD is a really important part of it, so let's make it high quality, but let's not make it movable in any way. So that makes it a lot less usable because if you're shooting anything other than eye level, it makes it inconvenient to use. Right. Um, uh, un- unless you're using some sort of external monitor or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, if you have, and and I think that's the thing about this. It's a cinema camera, so it's not necessarily meant to be, I don't know, like used as a run and gun camera on its own. Even though it's so extra. small, you would think you would want to, though, you know. Yeah, yeah, but it's kind of like filming with an iPad, you know. So mm-hmm. anybody that is going to be using this oh, yeah. for run it, run and gun, they're just going to be holding it in front of them like an idiot, yep. looking at this gigantic LCD screen. Yep. So it's kind of like filming with an iPhone, I guess. Yep. You know yep. that, except you got this big camera attached to it. So. Um, I've, so here's the, here's the thing with, even back in the old days with, um, the Canons and those that, that didn't have a good EVF and also a fixed LCD, they, 
needed some some form of stabilization handheld. And when you're just holding a camera with, with one or two hands, you get a lot of shakes. It's really impossible to hold it that steady, no matter how steady a person you are. Right. Um, and this camera, especially since it has such a large LCD, you can't hold it close to you because you can't even see the LCD that close to your face. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I mean, ideally, you, you would be holding the camera with your elbows totally bent and the camera um, up against your face. And right. you, can't see, you can't really make out the LCD to do anything that way. So then the alternative, you hold it out like a foot, right? And that's, that's the least steady way of holding a camera. You know, there's a lot of leverage. The camera's heavier. It, you're going to be shaking. And you'll notice that in the footage. So what's the best way to still have a lightweight camera and then hold it is to have three points of contact. And the way I did it in the past was having a loop that went on the LCD and the old Canon cameras. I had Z finders. And I pushed that loop against my eye. So I have two hands and my eye. And that's actually really stable. Um, that's that can get you even with a non-stabilized lens. That can get some really good results hmm. without without having a lot of bulk. So so I unfortunately the loops there isn't well there's one loop I think available for this five inch because um, it it's you know it would have to be pretty pretty darn large <laughs> um, and also kind of inconvenient because you would need to remove the loop to activate some of the menu things and work with the menu if you wanted to you know the touch screen. So that's kind of a, it's kind of a con, the fact that it has this issue and no EVF. So I there is one loop. It's called the Grid Loop. It's made in Argentina, and when I go to their site, I get all these warnings from my, all my browsers saying this is an insecure site. Do you want your computer taken over? <laughs> right. Do you give us permission to go to the site? <laughs> right. That's great. That's awesome. So I'm I'm a little apprehensive of, of ordering and putting my credit card number onto yeah. the site. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, because you know Shlomo is going to be monitoring right now in, a, in his basement, collecting yeah. your IP address and like knocking on your door. Fabulous. Yeah. So yeah, I I'll have to figure out another way to buy it from them. But I do want it. It's not. It's maybe two two hundred fifty bucks. So it's not super cheap, and it's pretty gigantic. Um, I'll put a link to it or something in the show notes, but, um, I probably am going to wind up getting this and I know some other filmmakers have gotten it and like it, but, and it's, but it's, I believe it's only magnetic. It's not, or clip on. So it's not something that flips up would be, which would be optimal. Yeah. Um, I had that on my Z finder. So I had a system that towards the end, they, they, they created a system where you could stick the frame up and then it had a little hinge on it so you could flip it up and then use the LCD if you needed to or look at it. Yeah, you know, they, they they had, uh, uh, I, know, I know they made stuff like very much like what you're describing even for the old GH1s. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that? It was yes. Like, I mean, of course it would have pulled off the articulating screen, but nonetheless, <laughs> it, was, it was exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, I you know, maybe I'll, if I get these larger versions, I'll make some hinge myself and make it work but that would be the ultimate solution because then you could have a running gun camera with good stabilization get a good view of the the lcd pressed against your face flip it up if you needed to just use it another way yeah okay so that's a con um poor battery life is another con so is that right poor battery life pretty it's kind of reminds me of the old a7 twos Mm -hmm. ones and twos Mm -hmm. um just like you're lucky, lucky if you get maybe 40 minutes out of a battery. Oh, okay. so yeah. And and the thing is, I have a lot of batteries from my Canon days, and from a couple monitors that used these. Uh, they're the Canon E6 batteries. 
So they're very common. They're pretty inexpensive for the third party party ones, um, but they're pretty small. And this camera draws a lot of power. You can tell. It's it's got a little fan vent on the bottom that's mm -hmm. facing downward and right right below the lens. And that thing is just like a little heater. It's just like always blowing out. It's really quiet, so that part's good. But it's like a little heater. Like if you want your hands warm, you know, put it in front of this camera. It'll warm up your hands. <laughs> um, but that, <laughs> yeah. but like heaters, it uses a lot of power. Sure. So yeah. So these little batteries, uh, and I went through all my batteries, and I just realized how, like basically, how I should throw away almost all of them, because they're so old. They've been used a lot, um, and they just lose their chemistry over time. And I, th I think I have maybe three batteries that I would even keep out of out of like 20 that I have. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I've kind of been testing the reliability of this camera and the batteries just by putting it on full uh, raw recording mm -hmm. and just having it fill up a car, fill up the hard drive and to see how long the battery lasts. And so I've, limit, I've already thrown away like 10 batteries because they last like five minutes. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I have a question. So like yeah. out of all the like you know the new ports that are on the camera you know you USB-C and all the other things can can you can you charge uh maybe to a a a bigger external power source uh at the same time or 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 really is is there no ability to do that no actually there's just like most other cameras there are power there's a power port a dedicated 12 volt 12 volt power port mm -hmm. actually i should put that in my cons list the power port is a connector it's a two pin connector that locks and i'm not crazy about it because it's kind of fiddly to lock it and unlock it it's 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 too robust for such a little connector but it is secure i mean once it's in there it's in, but it's it's not a it's not the industry standard limo connector which there's a billion of them out there mm -hmm. there's a, it's this non-industry standard weeboo connector a W-E-I-B-U or something. And it's a two-pin, and the only place you can really get them is from Blackmagic, and they're not making them yet. So, <laughs> so yeah. So you have this 12-volt power port, um, which you can use. They, they do supply an AC adapter to it. So if I wanted to, I could cut it up and, and, and turn it into a, a battery adapter or something, which I've done with other cameras. Um, it's also got uh, the ability to power it by a dummy port, just like all cameras. So you can have the... The, ba ba uh, the underside battery door open and you can plug in a d dummy battery port and you can power that with the common batteries. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, At least one you of the most, that. yeah. So for example, I just did a quick test with my Atomos power station, which is a two battery thing that has all kinds of adapters. And one of them is the E6, E6 adapter that's meant for cannons. And I powered that up and it, was, it worked perfectly. So that worked with a dummy. It's kind of gigantic. So I don't necessarily know if I want to use that on this camera right now. Right. I want to try to keep the solution small. So I have an other, these other ports that I was using, these other battery adapters which have been retired, which I was using in the early days of the A7s because this I didn't have the Atoms power station yet. And I think I'm going to adapt one of those to the battery port and see how that works. I haven't spent the time to find, a, find to see if I have the right size adapters and things because mm, right. some of the plugs aren't quite quite matching. Sure. But, but I will do that soon. There are you know now tons of people that are developing... Uh, battery solutions. There's a couple out there that use the battery um, dummy battery port. There's one that's kind of kind of cool. I think it's I can't, I can't remember, but I'll put it in the show notes. It's a it's a thing that just mounts underneath the camera. It's like it's, oh, I think it's called Power Base or something like that. Almost like a and battery grip type of thing. Would it it's be? not. 
it's not a grip. It's actually just something that you mount your camera to. Like, oh, okay. like it's just like a block, like okay. a rectangular block. Yep. Um, and but I don't know if I want something that big, and I'm not sure if it's versatile. If I think you need to plug it into a charger, I don't think it takes regular batteries. So mm. what I really want is a Sony L series battery adapter that's convenient. That would be the best choice because it would probably power the the camera for like two to three hours, which is adequate, and then it wouldn't take up too much space. And if I wanted to, I could just use smaller versions of those batteries and, and make it even smaller. There's actually three or four rigs out there. The Tilta cage, which is coming out soon, has has a battery handle that integrates a L, Sony L-Series battery with a handle, which seems like a really good solution. So I might get that when it comes out. And who's that but by the, again? Who's that by? Um, Tilta. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you could do a search on Tilta... Tilt a uh, pocket 4K cage, you'll probably find find it out there. Um, I, I have a feeling they're going to be in very short supply. Um, but um, it seems like a f- pretty good solution. Oh, yeah, Although I'm not right sh- here. Yeah, I'm not sure if I want to, you know, get their whole their whole solution or not. But oh, yeah, and you're right. It is a whole solution that you could choose to get. Ooh, that's, yeah. that's a pretty nice little looking rig. Yeah, it, it looks like it might actually be really really cool and and somewhat handheld um but i don't know how long it's gonna take to get out there i'm gonna see if my my friend at texas media systems can get one um because that might be if you can get like an early version that would be pretty cool um so getting back to cons um the butches the buttons and switches pretty much all of them on the camera are a little bit on the cheap side I think they're functional, and actually, in a way, they're not clicky, so that means that they won't make noise and stuff when you press them or make vibration by some kind of like clickiness that happens with most cameras. Um, but at the same time, conversely, they seem a little bit on the cheap side. Just, just I think it's more of a cosmetic issue. It's not a reality issue. Like I think they'll be functional just as long as other cameras, but they just give the impression of not being that solid. So... Yeah, so I don't I don't really know the um, the ramifications of the reliability of that. Anyway, EVF, you know, it would be I would just love to have some type of even a poor quality EVF, kind of like the five D Mark II had, just something to push up against my eye so that I could frame, you know, and maybe see important indicators like recording time, record on and off, and stuff. Nothing super detailed. I mean. I think they could have done it. It might have made the camera have a bulge on top or something, but I think they could have done it, and then it would be like the perfect camera, pretty much, except for the battery um, cover. But <laughs> right, exactly. But, uh, yeah, but they don't have that. Well, yeah. you know, just to go back to that real quick. Yes. D- d- does it have an actual battery lock within it the d- door? It actually does. And so, that so, so, the battery so, and, so if the door open, no big deal. It's just annoying and stuff like that. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. That's it's, what we call duct tape. That's what we... Exactly. Yeah. yeah, a little duct tape, a little gaffer's tape. Yep. Yeah, I think that would keep that annoyance factor down. Um, so, yeah, but getting back to the EVF. So I so I was... You know, I have a bunch of EVFs. I, feel like I have like three or four EVFs of varying qualities. I have my Gradical, right, which is a super high-end EVF the professional one from Zacuto. Right. And it's, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of big. Um, it's not super big, but it's, it's still substantial. Um, and I mounted it to the camera 
and I got it to work kind of, but I think um, because the cage I have is kind of bulky because it's just a kind of generic cage that sticks out quite a bit and adds a lot of adds a lot of volume to the thing. It was a little bit too much, you know. It just kind of made the unit ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I guess it could work in a pinch, and it's a really high quality EVF, and it has a lot of tools in it. So I guess I could use that. I think all this is going to be clearer if I can use EVFs when I get a slimmer cage. So um, I'll talk about the cages later um, at, the, at the end of this. But um, So in our and, pre-production meeting, you sent yeah. me a picture of the EVF. Is that the one you're talking about that you feel might be a little bit too big? Because I think it looks great. Oh, okay. It's No, the one that I sent you actually was the small HD EVF. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so, that's not the same one, right? No, that's that's mounted on a small HD monitor, mm-hmm. and and it it's the thing that's cool about that is that it's a smallish five inch monitor, and it optionally has the swing away EVF. Ah, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. So I guess theoretic, and 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 the reason I looked at that and even entertained that was that um, the one of the flaws of this remember is the non is the fixed LCD, the LCD that's just flat on the back, and you can't tilt it up or down. Right. So any shots that you have that are below your eye level by, you know, a few inches or, or above are not going to be that great. You're not going to see this LCD that well. Although the off-axis on the LCD is quite good. So you could kind of make it out even if it's above your head and forward a little bit or below, way below your head um, mm-hmm. and forward. You could still kind of, maybe maybe kind of frame stuff, not perfectly, but kind of frame it. Um, but still, it's better to be able to tilt up or down in those situations, right? So having having another LCD on the camera allows you to do that because you could swing it any way you want. Right. You know, it, you could even do blogging where it's facing you. So, so the reason I chose that um, is that I could use it, I could use it as a monitor, but then also use it as an EVF by mm. putting that swing away thing on. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's a possibility. That's a possibility. Um, I'm still gonna, it's again, it's a little bit too high and bulky with this cage. So when they, when I get a lower cage and get everything really close to the camera, I might try it again and see how it works. I, it's still a little bit ridiculous and makes it kind of heavy. So we'll, we'll see. It's starting to kind of, once, once you start adding all this stuff, it starts taking away from the elegance of, of this camera. Right. And then it just becomes like any other cinema camera. Like, for example, I could strip down my C200 and have, it already has an EVF and it already has a an LCD and it's got autofocus and a whole bunch of other features that this doesn't have. So, mm. so it's kind of like diminishing returns when you start adding all this extra stuff to make it work, you know, better. Yeah. But we are talking about a different image quality too, at the same time. Um, I would say, yeah, I mean, maybe I was overstating it when I thought this was better than the C200, but oh, I think it uh-huh. at least, at least rivals it. I think it at least rivals the C200 which is amazing, right? Because C200 is like $8,000 camera. Right, and so, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but when you start adding all this stuff onto it and it doesn't have built-in NDs, right? So that's another, I guess that's another con. I didn't even list that. Mm. Um, and then the lack of good, you know, accurate and continuous autofocus and then, you know, other things. Um, then, then it starts becoming like heavier, bigger, and still not as functional as mm. say my a stripped down C two hundred. So it's starts getting to that point where the balance tips back to a professional cinema camera that's stripped down, right? You know, or even FS five or something. Although the FS five is the image is crap compared to these guys. So anyway, 
Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, I'm going to experiment more with the, the EVF. Maybe there's some solution. But I think, to be honest with you, I think the solution is just to get a good loop that swings away mm-hmm. or that can easily detach so I can access the screen. So I guess, I guess when, I get, when I order that from the, you know, the Russian impersonators <laughs> right. that just take my money and all my right. credit info. <laughs> right. Right. Right, which leads which leads down a path of you know eventually send me going you, to prison. Send you those emails uh, <laughs> telling them that that one of your loved ones is trapped in Uganda or something like that. Yes, or or one of my love yeah one of my loved ones needs money quick. Yeah, please send it here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, yeah. So when when I order that and that happens, I'll let you know. Good. Thank you. But <laughs> well, I guess you won't be able to because they'll probably have my name as the person in need. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, great, 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 great. Well, yeah. uh, uh, let, let's talk quickly. I, I think in our uh, in our meeting, you, you kind of had something about the autofocus. I thought autofocus would be uh, uh, pretty great here, especially with some native lenses and stuff. Yeah, it's unfortunately the autofocus is is kind of a gimmick on this camera. Oh, really? I, well, it's it's similar. Actually, all the there's no really good autofocus on many of the of the Blackmagic cameras. I don't think any of them have continuous autofocus. Mm-hmm. They just have a push autofocus. So there's a box that you can move around or you can touch on the screen and it moves the box around by just touching where you want. And then it'll just instantly focus within that box. And so whatever it thinks is, in, is, is supposed to be framing on, it'll try to focus on there. But it goes back and forth and kind of eventually settles on the right spot. You know, it. I don't know, it might be like, kind of the early versions of autofocus from other cameras, right? Okay. They didn't just like zo- get go right to the spot and hold like some of the new really good ones like the Sony's and the Canons. But but they would kind of like go back and forth and go past it and then back and then eventually kind of narrow in on it. Almost hunting, it's, almost yeah, hunting kinda, in a way. Yeah, like hunting and then eventually settle on something. Mm-hmm. So it does the hunting. It does it fairly quickly, but it's still hunting. Yeah. So you can't you can't really use it in a usable shot. Like you can't, you can't just rack focus from something close to something far, for example. Okay. Um, it'll, it'll look like you're using crappy autofocus. Oh, and then, yeah. And then when it does actually settle on the focus, it's not, I don't find it to be that accurate. I'm finding it to be a little bit off sometimes. Like it's just not that reliable. Mm. So maybe you could use it to get close and then you could manually focus the rest of the way. Mm -hmm. Um, so it has some, I guess some use, um, another thing is if you're not um, at at the camera, you could um, use an app. Blackmagic sells an app for five bucks, which interacts with this camera through Bluetooth. No, oh. and and it's actually the app is actually actually not bad. It's really simple, but it it does pretty much everything. It does well. It doesn't. I don't think it does every single thing in the menu, but it does a lot of the important things. It doesn't show you an image though. It doesn't transmit the image, which is which sucks. Well, that's kind of too bad. Yeah, but but other than that, it transmits a lot of the control data and it allows you to do the autofocus. I don't think it allows you to move the autofocus point, but it can just initiate the autofocus. So if you have it in the middle or something, you could try it. Um, you can you can adjust other things, aperture and other things too. Autofocus, eh? I guess it's better than nothing, but it's just eh. Yeah, but it's just eh. Yeah, it's just eh. Is, is it so? Um... Is it something that you definitely want with this type of camera? You definitely want to be pulling focus beforehand and not relying on it. 
Yeah, I think so. Really, I think so. Okay. Yeah, there. So there it really is isn't. A, this is not really a run and gun type of game, even though it's so compact. It sounds like it, it could be, and it really should be. Well, I mean, run and gun. There's different definitions for run and gun. Yeah, right. Yeah. It could be like run and gun. Could be just that you're in a situation where you have a subject that's not moving, and and your depth of field is not so shallow that you that you would need critical focus all the time. So. I think it just depends on your definition. I mean, we did run and gun back in the 5D Mark II days, right? Right. And those autofocus were terrible as well, right? That yeah. was even before the, any of the good Canon autofocus stuff. So um, it's kind of similar to those days, and that, that run and gun was was possible. You just takes more time. You have to check it by zooming in. There is a zoom in function on the LCD, which is good. Mm-hmm. So it doubles it or it significantly magnifies it and makes it easier to focus. Mm-hmm. And there's also peaking, which is not bad on the, on the LCD. So I guess I would say, you know, maybe do the autofocus, just tap it and then do a manual focus. And then maybe use some of the other focusing tools like the punch in. I find the punch in works is probably for me is the easiest way to focus. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Yeah. So and I and I'm I just I I don't think the I just don't think the Blackmagic cameras are ever going to get get good autofocus. I don't think it's a priority for them because kind of by definition, cinema cameras just don't have very good autofocus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's really like they don't even have them usually. You know, like the the high end ones don't even have autofocus. It's like the cinematographers would laugh at you, <laughs> like like if you showed up on a set and you said, "Where's how do you autofocus with this?" They would just laugh you off the set. <laughs> So <laughs> they would, they would, they or they would point to the, you know, specifically dedicated person, focus right. puller. Right. And say, that, that's your autofocus. There's your autofocus. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So. Him and his tape measure are, are right, yes. are, are ready to go. Yes. Yes. His, his, his <laughs> Stanley tape measure. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, good. Although I think they they do use laser measurers measurers these days too, which oh, is cool. See, the, see, see how much the, <laughs> the technology has advanced. They they get they, they they got Herman over there pulling w- w- with the uh, with the laser focus. That's uh, yeah. that's that's good. Well, yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> I, I, but I, in, yeah, good. So, yeah, so so that's what makes the Canon um, like the C two hundred that I have so special because you can get a cinema cinema level camera. But still get really amazing auto autofocus, just like really really good autofocus, yeah. like better than better yeah. than any camera. Yeah. So and 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 that pros are starting to rely on that. They're starting to use that as B cameras or or A cameras for situations where they need autofocus, like on gimbals and things like that. Sure. Where you, where you have super de- uh, shallowed up the field and you just need to track somebody's face. So it is it is an important thing. It really is. But so when some some blogger was saying though that that auto that Depth, shallow depth of field is less necessary when you have really good dynamic range. And so I don't know if that's true or not, but that's this guy's theory. Mm-hmm. And I I may tend to believe that because when you have such great dynamic range such as this camera, then things are differentiated more. Mm-hmm. There's more more detail in, in different things and things seem more lifelike. So it's less necessary to trick your eye into focusing on a particular point so um i don't know if that's true or not that just could be a way of saying i don't don't really like focusing and shallow depth of field i'd rather just keep it keep it long depth of field and 
not worry about autofocus or something. Right. So. Right, 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 right. So uh, as far as any other things that are going on with the camera, I know that you had mentioned something about the um, the covers on, on the camera. Oh, oh, the port covers? Yeah. yeah. The port covers... Are really cool when they're when you first get the get the unit. They're really um, they fit really well. They're really rubbery and feel really solid. <clears throat> but the thing is, the minute you take them out, you can't put them back in. <laughs> oh, nice! <laughs> they're like oh, good. They're like well, you can, but they don't fit as well as the first time. They have these little rubber. They kind of have little rubbery like things that stick out and go into your ports. And those don't those things don't fit as well after the first time, so it's kind of weird, <laughs> you know. So they're just like they're kind of like the little plastic that you pull off your iPhone. Oh, it looks really really cool, right? And then use it once you take it off, and then that's it. And, and you can never it get it back there again. <laughs> that's good. So um yeah so kind of I would rather but you know port covers on most most gear is not that great. Or at least the flexible ones, like some of the yeah. rubbery ones, they're not right. that great. They they always get lost. I, I, yeah, I agree. I you know the, the the ones that are kind of attached to the cameras are sometimes useful. Um, you know, just so that you can always have them, you know, covered up. But uh, if 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 it's up to you to like take it off, put it in your pocket. And then put it back on again once you're done. You ah, forget it. I'll, I'll I'll lose it every time. I'll lose it oh, yeah. every time. Yeah, on my C200s, there's port covers on the XLRs, and like I just noticed the other day that one of them's just totally gone. Yeah. I have no idea where it is. Yeah, if it's on some where some shoot somewhere or in my bag or whatever. So right. Yeah. Anyway, so not I guess you know they're not they're not worse than 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 everybody else in in regards to that. Port covers are hard. They're they're a hard thing to to manage because you can have the you can have the ones that are just hard right and they just kind of flip out like a hinge door right like on a lot of cameras like yep. the yeah, a, lot, a lot of slrs but but then they break off or they get in the way because they're just always in one place and you can't you have to go around them so i could see the logic of of these flexible ones like you can you can really move them anywhere you want because they're all rubbery and kind of pull out but but then they don't really push back in and they're just kind of annoying so it's it's a dilemma. I think so they should just have like little, I don't know, like little automatic uh, servo controlled, you know, like elevator doors that just open when when you get close. <laughs> like like the Star Trek bridge doors. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Right. With little sound. Yes, whoosh, with the little <laughs> extra sound. <laughs> Very good. Very it'll good. it'll happen. That's it'll good. Happen. All right. <laughs> well, y y you know, and. Um, Let's talk now, uh, so, so you know, a, a little list of, of cons, but not really anything that would, I, I think, prevent folks from really saying, oh, this is, you know, this sucks or anything like that. It's, it sounds mm. like there are things that one could just live with, like, ever, like all the other products that are out there. Yeah, I think so. I think it's true. And I think it's just a cost versus convenience thing yeah because i think black magic really wanted to make the cost as low as possible and you could see that they made a lot of these decisions to to save on cost and keep it simple mm. and it's actually kind of hard for me to believe the camera is as cheap as it is it's kind of unbelievable but maybe 
maybe it's not because it's a fairly simple camera. It's just mm-hmm. you know, good processor, good sensor, and software. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, some people would say like the uh, lack of menu options might say, oh, you know, it's you know that that's no good. But for you and for me, maybe we like that. It's, it's all subjective, right? It's all subjective. Is w- what you really want to do and stuff. Yeah, I think so. And I think, well, I think maybe the fact that you can record raw maybe eliminates the need to have a lot of options because you're just taking whatever's on the sensor and storing it. Yeah. And then later you can mess, mess with it. Yeah. With all the, with all the profiles and things that you want to. So maybe there's a reason for that. And maybe the reason that Sony's and can and, and all the other non raw cameras have all these settings is because you have to mess with it to get a good image. Right. In, in camera. Right. So they're, they're just not going to give it to you right away. Yeah, something like that. Yep. So, okay. Anyway, oh, good. Uh, yeah. Tips. So, you got you mm-hmm. got any tips for us uh, for for those of us who uh, maybe have uh, purchased one or maybe thinking about doing? It? Is there uh, anything you got for us there? Yeah. Well, remember we were talking a little bit about ISO because you were asking about low light capabilities oh, yeah. and and oh, stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah. So one of the things about this camera is that it's the the dual ISO sensor. Um, dual native ISO, ISO sensor and dual native means so there's a certain um, kind of default sensitivity that that is 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 used a certain default amplifier mm-hmm. that is used and it's just kind of like uh, how can I describe it I'm trying to think of an analogy um, it's kind of like if you had a certain amount of strength where you weren't like if you're trying to lift weights mm-hmm. and you had you had a strength where you were very comfortable at right and it you could just move really naturally at that strength right and then when you when you wanted to um you know lift heavier weights you could do it but it wouldn't be as easy mm-hmm. you'd be straining mm-hmm. uh, and conversely maybe if it was a lighter weight it, it wouldn't be forcing enough on you mm-hmm. and therefore it would not be optimal mm-hmm. so basically and this is this is a terrible analogy. I should have thought of this before. <laughs> I should have really thought of a good one. But but anyway, it, maybe I can just t- talk of it about it in terms of electronics because maybe that's just simpler. So it's just like an amplifier. So there's an amplifier for for every little <clears throat> every little um, pixel that's on the sensor. There's there's a circuit for it, and then all those all all those pixels send their their signals to an amplifier. And the amplifier can be designed to amplify a little bit mm-hmm. or a lot. But if it's designed to amplify kind of variably, then the performance goes down. So if it was if it was optimized to amplify, say, amplify times 10 or something, mm-hmm. it can be designed really, really well for times 10, like noise and all the other things that go wrong with, with, with an amplifier get significantly reduced if it's just fixed. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't have to be variable. And so when you start pushing it and when you say that this naturally 10 times amplifier needs to go to 12, 15, or 20, whatever, it's, its performance starts degrading. It starts not performing as well. It still amplifies things, but it's not doing it as cleanly as, it, as, as another amplifier that, could, that, could, that was designed for that level of amplification. Mm-hmm. So in this case, there is a, there's one that's designed for 400 ISO. And then you could switch it to another amplifier that's designed for 3200 ISO. But I, but I believe it's still using the same sensor mm-hmm. elements. It's not like switching sensor elements. So 
what happens then is the 400 is going to be really, really clean. And it's going to have a pretty good dynamic range. Um, and then as you amplify it um, more, more and more and more, then the noise, basically the noise floor goes up. So whatever is inherently in that sensor and generating noise will actually, it'll be higher. So that, that, that noise level, which was kind of imperceptible at 400, is actually going to be higher when it's at, you know, higher ISOs like, like, um, you know, 500, 640, 800, uh, 1000. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the, the worst in that lower range, the worst performance is going to be at, at a thousand. And, and the reason for that is once you get to uh 1250 ISO, then it actually switches to the higher end amplifier, the one that's, that's amplifying to 3200, mm -hmm. but it's actually, um, it's actually kind of reducing the amplification. It's doing negative amplification at that point. And so what actually happens when you do negative amplification is that it actually, re it's like reducing the gain. It's like turning the volume down on your, on your stereo or something. It's, it's actually turning the volume down. It's still basically, um, it's, it's amplifying, but then it's turning it down. And while, so while it's turning it down, it's actually reducing the noise floor. Mm. of of the image so it's basically making the noise levels even lower and lower and lower lower so if you actually have a native iso if you actually reduce the iso below that level and still use and you're still using the same the same amplifier it will actually reduce the noise the the drawback is that it also usually reduces the dynamic range so it's making the noise go lower but then it's also making the highlights go lower so you have so, to compensate with something right yeah, you just have to realize that you're not going to get as much highlight information. So, um, so that's why when when um, different cameras like the Sony's and the others they go into log format, right? They actually sometimes they only let you do it at the native ISO of the, of the sensor and system. So that way they get the most dynamic range, so they can use all the different values within that. But in actuality, um, it's it's probably not optimal optimal when it comes to noise. So you, it's basically a trade off. Mm -hmm. So, but it may be also that the camera has so much dynamic range that it doesn't really matter, and you just as long as your exposure is okay, you actually get a cleaner image with say for, for example twelve fifty. Um, you get a clean image, and maybe you're losing a little bit of dynamic range, but it's not significant, and the reduction in noise is actually worth it. For that situation mm -hmm. so i have to do more tests to see really if i lose a lot in the highlights etc but i'm going to i'm going to say that i think if you don't overexpose too much that you're probably okay <clears throat> whereas i think if you're using the native iso you could probably overexpose a lot more and still recover information from the highlights mm. you see you see what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah so for example if you were at uh Say you're in the 3200 switch. You're in that. You're in that select selection. So that's anywhere from 1250 all the way up. It basically uses the same amplifier from 1250 ISO all the way up. When it's at 3200, it's actually the native ISO. If you were, if you wanted to reduce noise, at say you're at 3200 and you wanted to reduce noise, you might actually bump up the um, the exposure. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd open the aperture or add more light or whatever mm -hmm. and you and you might see on the uh on your on your screen you might see stuff is getting to be in the blown out range right 
But if you're recording raw, it may be that you can recover a lot of that information, even if it seems like it's blown out. Mm -hmm. So, but after a certain point, it really is blown. It really is that that sensor is just totally blown out. You lost information there. Right. So, so um, maybe you can only go like one stop or two stops over optimal exposure. But then when you go to three stops, you're just totally blown out in the highlights. So you have to do some tests with your subject matter and see how far you can go. For example, with, um, with Sony cameras, they look really bad in log format unless you overexpose. Like I, I go like one, two, three stops sometimes over. Mm -hmm. And then later I will use a LUT that is meant to bring, bring the exposure down by one, two or three stops to kind of match it. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, the noise floor goes down, goes way down. Yeah. But then maybe if you're at ISO 1250, which has an inherently better noise um, profile, maybe you you don't want to um, go plus one, plus two, or plus three stops over. Mm -hmm. Maybe you want to just keep it at normal, and then it'll come out really good noise performance, and you won't blow out the highlights. So it's kind of a tr it's kind of a trade off. Yeah. Between di between different things, and I think people should experiment on their own with this, but it's, it's actually something that's pretty, it's actually inherent in all cameras, really. Mm. It's just, it's just the ones with more dynamic range. You, um, this becomes more of an issue. These cinema cameras, it becomes more of an issue. So. All right. Anyway, no, that's, anyway hopefully, hopefully that explanation. No, that's good. Is, has, has some value. No, that's good. I think that, I, I think that's very good. And okay. uh, um, how about other tips? I mean, uh, I know you and I talked a little bit about the the battery, yes, uh, situation a, a little bit earlier on. You know, uh, there are all kinds of external options, and with all the different inputs outputs on the Black Magic Designs camera, you know, what what, what can you do with this? So I guess there's always the option of the dummy battery uh, adapter, which is prevalent and really inexpensive. And so I actually use those, well, I actually use, them, use those all the time with the A7s because they had such terrible battery life. Right. Like a teeny little battery. Right. Yeah. So initially I bought some really cheap, cheapo ones that just used a Sony L battery. And you just stuck, the Sony L batteries are like three to five times as powerful as the, the Canon batteries that this uses. Mm-hmm. So instead of getting half an hour to an hour, you'd get, you know, maybe two to three hours, which is cool. Yeah. Um, just with one battery. So that's a possible solution. So people can kind of do a DIY. You can, or you can buy something on Amazon or wherever um, that's made for the Canon type battery. Mm -hmm. And then you just have this thing that you mount somehow to your cage. It's got, it's usually got a quarter 20 screw hole so that you can mount it to something or put a, some type of mount on it and attach it to something else like a hot shoe. Mm -hmm. um, and then you just run this, this funky cord into your battery port. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and have it sticking out. Sure. But you know, I did, I did that for years. Yeah. And, and still do that on occasion. Um, Certainly so, gives you more battery life than any of the other, uh, other batteries in camera. Yeah. The in-camera stuff, I, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather not have to, have to, you know, switch batteries all the time. It's annoying. Right. But at the same time, then you have this kind of humongous thing hanging on your on your camera and adding more bulk and weight to it. Right. So is it, should you just, 
you know, have to just think about this battery every half hour mm-hmm. and just carry a bunch of batteries and then not have to worry about this big thing and just have fun with it and just have a bunch of batteries in your pocket? Yeah. Or do you have this have to have this thing hanging off and and increase the bulk? So I think it's I think I'm going to wind up having two modes, which is kind of the run and gun lightweight mode where I just carry a bunch of batteries mm-hmm. and then and then maybe for the 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 set the set and forget B camera just have a big power supply attached to it somehow. Right. Maybe maybe even bigger than than this one this one battery they have. Yeah. So still kind of experimenting with it. There's also some other battery solutions to and these are solutions that have been around forever cuz this has been an issue with cameras forever. Just that people want more battery life. Yep. Um so there's there's a pretty cool um Tilta cage that's coming out. It's not out yet. Um, and we can actually, I think you saw it. I right? did I see it. It, it, yeah. it, it. it looked, it had a lot of options. It it didn't seem, I, I don't know, I didn't look at it that carefully, but it looked to be available because, I mean, there's just so much, so many options you can choose from. You would think yeah. that if they're promoting it, it'd be there already. But Yeah, I think I think some of the stuff is soon to be available, maybe, maybe within a couple weeks. Okay. I have a couple calls out for that, um, but one of the things it has—it's a pretty good cage, and it's not like very expensive for the cage. I think it's like a hundred bucks, and then uh, it has this. The one thing that I'm interested in is the battery handle. So it's like a—it's a battery kind of—it's kind of like a—it's like a big handle mm-hmm. that's shaped kind of like an oversized L battery, and then you—and then you it—you can stick an L-sized battery into it, um, and I think it then I think it actually will go. I think it might even just use the dummy battery port. I don't. I don't think it uses the power port on the side of the camera. So that's kind of, in my opinion, that's a little bit of drawback. I'd rather it actually use the power port on the side, because I'd rather not have to mess with this extra wire coming out of the battery port and and things sticking out below the camera. Sure. Because you you kind of want to have that open for mounting and other stuff, and you don't don't want it to dangle. And that's one of the reasons that I don't don't like the battery, dummy battery solution. Right. Um. And also what I've heard is that the, the power port on the side um, charges the battery that's inside the camera at the same time. And then if for some reason it fails or runs out of juice, mm-hmm. then it, the internal battery takes over. So it's kind of like a backup. Yeah. So if something happens to the power supply, your internal battery is still going to last for like half an hour to 45 minutes. So anyway, I, I'm not I'm not positive of how they did it, but I think when I saw an interview with them on, on the internet at it seemed like there was a dummy battery port solution. So we'll have to see. Um, if it's a dummy battery port solution, then I'm not as excited about it as other solutions. Right. So cool. there's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's that on the power, but I think people can kind of figure out the power. They just have to, they just have to like come to terms with the fact that it's going to make this nice sleek camera bigger. Yeah. So it's right. worth it. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. It, uh, again, trade-offs, right? Trade-offs. Yes. Yep. Um, one thing for sure, though, is I'm definitely going to, you know, get a bunch of good batteries. In fact, I just, the problem is that the Canon batteries cost like 50, 60 bucks each. So, and the Canons are the best, like out of all the batteries that I, that I, that I try, uh, tested on this, on this camera. Right. The, the only ones that actually still were, still were worth anything were the Canon batteries and they're like 10 years old. Oh, wow. And they're really Isn't that amazing. Yeah. I, and and they're really lasted that long and stuff. Yeah. They got 38 and... 30 so like 38 and 40 minutes which wow. is amazing you're like recording with the ssd and everything and these are really old batteries it's crazy that's really great yeah so um so i actually just wound up ordering a bunch of um supposedly new batteries on ebay <laughs> <laughs> right 
Yeah. That's yet to be determined, right? We'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. No, that's good. <laughs> we'll see. They were, they were basically like 25 instead of 50 bucks. Uh-huh. So half price. And then I ordered a couple third-party batteries just to, just to test them. Right. I know they won't be as good as the Canons, but they're only 10 bucks each. So. Yeah. And, and if you have a whole, you know, uh, pocket full of batteries, you, you, you should be okay. Even if, even if they don't last half as long as the actual Canon ones still be, yeah. still might work out. Okay. Still might work out. They'll be like my, my last ditch batteries. Right. When the Canons start running out, I'll just take these cheap ones out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. So then, yeah. So then, um, other things is I'm probably, I'm probably going to try to figure out how to order this loop from the, the Russian company. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, j- just get yourself, a uh, uh, one of those pay and go credit cards and yes, I'll get a burner phone, bur- a burner phone, burner card, and burner just, card, a burner with, computer with just enough money on it for the loop, and then <laughs> enter that in, you'll be good. That's all you gotta do. Don't and worry, I've done it plenty me. of times. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna get that. I don't know how the, the, they're probably in super demand at this point. And then, and I actually like this camera so much that I'm I'm ordering it. I'm I've ordered a second one. Oh, are you serious? Really? Yes. Yes. Wow. It's yes. really that fabulous that you had to get another one. Yeah, so, I just uh, uh, so so let's 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 uh we're, we're going to do a real quick epilogue even though we're not <laughs> nearly done on this. But so how does this rank with now using the GH5 GH5S? Are you going to throw those in the garbage can now or what? What are you going to do? <sighs> Yeah, I think I'm gonna just throw. Them. In fact, I have this one here on my on my uh, desk here. And so I'm just, just gonna toss it in the th- trash. Throw it in garbage can. Okay, I just threw it in the bin, so it's <laughs> it's there. If you want a GH5? You'll have to come over. That's and good. Pick well, my trash. M- maybe maybe I can get another good deal of a dollar twenty five for a GH5. So, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen in, in Tech Move Universe, be ready for Rod Louis' review of his new GH5. <laughs> So that's good. Yeah. So here's the thing. I had a had an there was a really good deal on B and H. Like it was really good prices on GH five and GH five S, and it was running it was running only to a certain date. Mm-hmm. And I actually had the things in my in my cart. It was the same deal as the lenses that I got a good deal. But I ordered this before the mm-hmm. GH fives, and I said, oh, you know what? I'm just gonna get a couple more GH five. I could always return them if 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 I don't need them, but I might as well get them now since so it's a good deal, right? Because I could always use more of these cameras. Yeah. And 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 then. They there was some snafu where they weren't honoring the, the supposed price. Oh really? Yeah, and because the, the cart it said it said something like this this number this code is still in is is in use by somebody else. Oh good. So so to see the your Russian hackers have already uh, <laughs> gotten hold of you already. Yeah, but the, but the jokes on them because this time passed and then I and since then I got I got the black magic pocket. And now I don't even want those anymore. So oh, <laughs> and they okay. got th- and they got them. So the jokes on them. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Because after I got this, I realized, okay, well, if I'm just getting these GH5s for bees, I've already got a couple of GH5s. I don't need that many. I'm just the two that I have are good for handheld kind of stuff, or maybe for some static shots under certain situations. But mm-hmm. if I'm just going to have B cameras, yeah, or maybe even A cameras, why not get? A thirteen hundred dollar A or B camera that's way better than GH five, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's being used in the same way. Right, you know, like it's. I was just planning to get these GH fives for B cameras that are just set and forget because they had long battery life, and 
they had an okay image for certain shots. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be like using these cameras for fifty percent of the footage, maybe like five percent, right? The rest would be my C two hundreds and 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 other things. So, but now I've got this amazing really inexpensive camera that I could probably power forever if I got the right battery solution. Mm-hmm. And, and it also can record forever if I have enough hard, enough hard drive. Mm-hmm. One of these, one of these Samsung one terabytes is pretty cheap and it can record up to like three hours in, in raw, right. you know, with a, with a more compressed version of raw. Yeah. And, and th- that's not even until the black magic raw comes out, which I, I hope it does come out for this camera soon. Then it's going to be awesome. Cause you could record, so much more with the same quality. Mm-hmm. So I have this super quality B stationary B camera set up, not too big, you know, maybe slightly bigger. They record forever and I can power them forever. And the quality is way better. Yeah. I can do so much more in post with them because when you, like if you do a B camera and you're set up, you're not there. You can't really control the situation and adjust the aperture and exposure and stuff mm-hmm. if things change, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But with a camera like this, if you're recording in RAW, it, it has so much latitude that you could fix it in post. Mm-hmm. You could fix a lot of exposure errors in post, mm-hmm. whereas you couldn't necessarily do that with a GH5. Right, right. So, you know, so that's kind of my... That's kind of my reasoning. So, so then does the GH5 now become the C camera now? Or be, or not at all, or you won't be bringing them at all. I th- I think it definitely has uses. It definitely has uses. It's 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 more compact in a situation where I don't need the highest quality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit less trouble. So if I'm doing a shoot where it's not, it doesn't have to be cinematic. It just needs to capture mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Then I then I'll probably still use the GH5 or GH5s. So you know, or if it's like a vlog where mm-hmm. I'm facing the camera to myself or right. it's just like kind of like behind the scenes then yeah. i'll give somebody whoever's the behind the scenes person i'll give them the gh5 mm-hmm. you know and it's good for that um so but definitely kind of like pushed a little bit pushed aside okay. unfortunately yeah that's you know? too bad well sorry well you know what until the gh6 comes around and then uh, and, <laughs> and that will be the the new the new thing yeah i mean the thing that's so cool and i always say this Blackmagic design has raised the bar mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for for these cameras. It's raised the bar. It's like it's like saying, okay, we came out with this, and all these people were buying these A seven, yeah, right. whatever the GH- R's, the S's, all this kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, and now they're all going to buy this camera. Yeah, you know, so it just totally shifted the market. Yeah, because why would you buy a two to three thousand dollar camera when it's not as good as this? Right. And not as flexible as this. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. No, so. I, I, I see it. Even though, you know, like for me, it, 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 me personally, I don't think I'm the market for it. Because I still I, like shooting a lot of stills, too. That's right. It's definitely not a good stills camera. So It's it's, it's strictly for video. Yeah. So I really yeah. enjoy these cameras that can do everything. And I think that, you know. You know my my GH whatever is still going to be able to do that. So that's that's true. That's true. Although for somebody like you, if you wanted to dabble into the cinematic arena, right? You know, and just see what the possibilities are. It's actually kind of cool because you could use your lenses, right? And and, and and you could take some beautiful 4K stills off footage. You could do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah you could even do that, and then you could even just yeah. So you could kind of use it as a 
as a burst mode, right? Continuous burst mode camera, right? In RAW, yep. Which is amazing, yeah. Because right? I've done that a little bit, sure. And I've actually done that with not even as good cameras as this, and it's came out, come out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, yeah. Um, no, that's cool. That's very, yeah. It, so that's very, very good. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's actually. I mean, I'm kind of. It's kind of amazing because I just haven't been excited about a camera in in quite some time like this. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, it's it, 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 it's it's good to hear, and I you know in our upcoming episodes we're going to hear a lot more about it. I guess as as time goes on, you know, we're going to hear about updates and and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, yeah. y- you know, I, I I think you know, especially your second unit, which is on order and stuff like that. We're we're going to mm-hmm. hear about how you use it, and and you know, I will be curious as to because I am the you know Panasonic fanboy. To, to see how how kick to the curb uh, those uh, uh, those other cameras will be for you, uh, you know, if at all. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be kicked to the curb. I think they have a lot of use. It's just they're they just got pushed down. Yeah, they got pushed down a little bit, and they still they still have use. I still see them being used for certain week workflows, just not necessarily as much for the cinematic workflows. That's all. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Keith, I think we've reached the uh, end of our latest episode here, mm-hmm. and we are going to call it wrap up. We're going to call this wrapped up, and uh, <laughs> we are going to uh, close it out and uh, tell the folks about what's going to be happening in our next episode, which I'm going to guess is pretty much more of the same. We're going to talk more about the. <laughs> The, We're going to talk about the 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 Pocket 4K's battery port exploding, right? And the Pocket 4K disintegrating in my hands, and, and more importantly, the uh, <laughs> the firmware updates you're going to do, and how that will be that, complete. That brick the that brick the camera, right? Exactly. So we'll, yeah, we'll, that destroy my hard drives, right? In we, a different way. We will uh, <laughs> we, we we will talk more about that in our next episode. Well, Keith, you know, that was fantastic. Let's, uh, you know, uh, again, folks, thanks a lot for listening to us and uh, go on and on about, you know, what we do. And uh, we, we also want to remind all of you to uh, make sure you subscribe to us on uh, iTunes and give us a, a, a rating, will you? Uh, we would love to hear your thoughts on the podcast, what we what you'd like us to cover, maybe what you'd like Keith to uh, to discuss as far as a uh, uh, you know maybe a teaching session or something like that, uh, Keith. Uh, it, how else can they reach us, uh, the f- the fine people, to to actually touch those of us who are with the Tech Move movement? Uh, how can they t- how can they touch us? Right. Well, they can they can they can email us. Yeah, that's good. Info at techmovepodcast.com. I don't even know where our addresses are right now i'm trying to look for it on on my little notes and i don't even have it anywhere which is yeah it's just, just it's info at techmovepodcast.com that's pretty much the only one okay good yeah so, so could, email if you want us it, there that'd yeah be great. we could we could we could create a rod and keith but i think no nah, that, that nobody wants to talk to me so that's fine yeah. that, that that that's yeah that's and your spam filter will remove all of them exactly (laughs) (laughs) exactly okay folks so so reach us on uh subscribe to us on itunes you can also uh, get to us through the various other ways like facebook and twitter and uh and all of them are usually uh at tech move podcast or some variation of that right keith 
That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you just do a search for Tech Move Podcast, you probably will find a bunch of ways to reach us. But you could also, the main way is to go to our site because it has, it's got all the different ways you can reach us. Also, It's also got the episodes and descriptions, notes, show notes and links and um, links to, if there are videos, links to the videos. So it's best to just go to the website. Yeah. We, and we appreciate that because uh, uh, Keith puts in a lot of time in that website. So we'd love for you to just check out the work. We, sometimes we, we, we get to, it, it, you know, especially all those uh, uh, shows that uh, that we go to, like NAB and all that kind of stuff. That's where a lot of those videos are. So you can go check that out um, mm-hmm. if you're interested. Uh, you mm-hmm. can also, we also encourage you folks to support us uh, using uh, Patreon. And that's yes. a tech move podcast. Uh, Keith, any any words of wisdom on that one? Nope. Just give us money. <laughs> you can you can give us. There's no limit to how much you can give us. Million, five million. That would be much it, appreciated. It. There is no limit. No limit whatsoever. That's good. No. No, that's fantastic. All right. <laughs> well, uh, Keith, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Yep. Uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. We mm-hmm. greatly appreciate you spending your time with us and listening to us go on and on. Keith, it is always fantastic to talk to you. I love catching up. I love being able to talk about this new gear and live vicariously through you as you <laughs> spend all your money doing it while I roll around in my cash sweaty and having it stick to my body so uh key thank you very much for that we greatly appreciate it. we will talk to you uh at the next episode but until that time ladies and gentlemen on behalf of the great keith moreau i am rod louie thank you so much for joining us here on tech move we really appreciate it and we'll see you the next time thank you so much <laughs>